This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. In studio with uh, Jeff Simpson and, of course, Terry South. The gang's here, ready to rock and roll and uh, hopefully uh, lift your life a little bit, give you the tools, the information you need to live a healthier, happier life. Today, no exception. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. So honored to be here back. Uh, still have the cough, but it's getting better. Apparently, it's just a cough, and apparently, you just need to wait it out. And take a lot of fun pills. I'm Such fine. as, I mean, because you look really happy right now. Well, boy, I am telling you, I'm on cloud nine. Oh, I haven't tried that one yet. It's a great new drug. Huh. It's a great drug. Actually, what it is, is if I don't move, and I was wondering if you could just push me around in my chair today, because as long as I don't exert energy, then my lungs are fine. It's like when hmm. I'm running around, when I'm doing things, you know, the last minute, running here and there. I have no problem pushing you around. It's so true. So true. And uh, speaking of pushing people around, holy cow, Donald Trump pushing around Kim Jong-un. Yeah. Like, I, he, he amped it up. Many are saying maybe the president said too much. Apparently it was totally improvised. He's not really one to improvise, though. Uh, he's kind of known for that. But his little ad-libbed, uh, you know... That that changed. Comment. What what changed? It's not it wasn't it wasn't like just off the cuff improvised. Oh really? It wasn't scripted. It's more off the hair. This is what the White House said after the uh press conference yesterday is they tried so, to get ahead of the story that they didn't know was happening at the moment because Trump totally improvised this. Yeah, but yeah. now they're trying to say, now no, they're no, saying no, no. it wasn't we knew, improvised. We knew the subject matter, we just didn't know how he was going to present it. Man, well he Fire and fury, which explains as the why world has never seen before. His message and the Secretary of State's message are completely different. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Plus, other generals have said this would take 15 minutes of American firepower. At 15 minutes, they think they could neutralize North Korea. 15 minutes is powerful because it can also save you 15% or more on car insurance. Oh, yeah, it's great, great car insurance ad. That's a good point. But one of the, one of the weird things is – so if it is if, – if, North Korea could be neutralized in 15 minutes of bombing. Yeah. Then, then we have actually seen fire and fury. You know, World War II went on for years. Right. I don't know. It just seemed like the president hadn't exactly thought through. I think he wanted to make a strong statement. But it seemed like a it seemed like he went a little out there. Really? Yeah. Do you think I need to start repenting? Uh, like yeah, right we've now. been telling you that for weeks. It also seemed like something you needed to be at, like, the official presidential podium. Yeah. Not sitting at a card yeah, table. with the seal of the presidential seal behind you. Yeah, something that looks more Maybe official. Maybe your general's at the table. I mean, it just seemed like he was, like, at a TGI Fridays waiting for somebody to come sing happy birthday. Did he have some wings in front of him? Yeah. Oh, he was waiting for the mozzarella sticks. Ooh. Oh, those are good. See? Mm, 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 mm. Is TGI Fridays still around? Yeah, by the way, I just read that TGI Fridays was originally one of the first singles uh, bars, dating bars in the country. 
The first one was wow. called TGI Fridays. Then it, then it turned into a family neighborhood eatery yeah. type place with a sneeze guard on the salad bar. Yeah. Hmm. Would we have TGI, TGI Fridays without TGIF? Remember TGIF on ABC? Yeah, I think we would. Because I think they've been saying TGIF for years. But they've been using the phrase. Anyway, we got a lot to cover today. Today, we're going to uh, play an interview that Jeff did just, uh, I think, yesterday about ATM safety. Because we've heard a lot of stories of now that people put card readers on your ATM and they can steal all of your information. And then the next thing you know, you're, you know, they just empty out your account. We've also heard um, that one guy got stuck in an ATM. Behind the Behind ATM. the ATM. Yeah, right. So, like, are they safe? Is, I, I'm pretty sure that Jeff's going to talk more about people stealing your identity than you getting trapped in an ATM. And people, by the way, are always trying to steal the ATM. That makes yes. for a lot of fun. Using a variety of vehicles. Yeah. We've had people using, uh, like, construction equipment. Steamrollers. Right. It's good fun. Good fun. Had by all. So we'll be doing that interview in a few minutes. uh, And uh, also, we've got to get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country we should be paying attention to? So North Korea revealed this morning that it's planned to fire precisely four intermediate-range ballistic missiles into the waters of the U.S. territory of Guam. Oh, boy. The missiles would apparently fly over Japan, allegedly land 19 to 25 miles away from the island, which is a U.S. military hub. The Associated Press reports that by launching a volley of four, the North would be attempting to make it harder for U.S. to intercept all of the incoming missiles. Yeah. If you fire four bullets and you're trying to fire more bullets to knock them down, which is what our missile systems do, it's kind of hard to hit them all. It's interesting they're telling us this. Yes. The plan could be finalized in as little as a week before it goes to North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, who would then decide whether to move forward with it. Oh. Though North Korea isn't concerned about President Trump's threat to rain down fire and fury, if threats continue, the Associated Press notes, it's unclear whether North Korea would actually carry out its plan by okay. attacking mm-hmm. Guam. So, so this is a pre-test uh, bubble they're floating. Yeah. Balloon they're floating to see how people feel about us, about them shooting four missiles so they can't bring them down. Right. Near Guam. Into the ocean. A military base and, I mean, with a high amount of American population. That Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just good to know. But, the plan, but it may not happen. The plan exists. But it has. if it doesn't happen, it has nothing to do with fire and fury from the president. They're not concerned about okay. that. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, a Russian military spy jet soared Wednesday over Washington, D.C. New Jer- and New Jersey, where President Trump was vacationing, according to reports. The unnamed aircraft's uh, route included the U.S. Capitol, past uh, <coughs> excuse me, Bedminster, New Jersey, where yeah. Trump is staying at his golf course, as well as Ohio, Virginia, and Pennsylvania. Does anybody else find this strange? The Russian Air Force plane reportedly left Moscow early Wednesday morning before heading to Iceland, then to the U.S., where it circled the D.C. area. The flight was conducted under the Treaty on Open Skies, which came into effect in 2002 between the U.S., Russia, and other countries to conduct surveillance flights on each other's territories. Well, yeah. It seems strange, but maybe it's time that we go fly... Flights over Moscow. and Apparently we do this. Yeah. Apparently you just make a flight plan and then tell them we're coming. And U.S. military pictures. personnel were allowed on the plane for observation, and the plane has the capability of gathering intelligence. One person familiar with the flight told CNN, the flight marks the 10th such mission this year. 
Oh, wow. According to the uh, Nuclear Threat Initiative. So they've flown 10 missions. How many have we flown over Moscow? Why isn't that we don't, revealed? Yeah. Oh, I've we, been to Moscow like a half a dozen times. Yeah, you, yeah, you I've would. flown over it. No, but lots. I think they're talking about military planes flying over, taking pictures. Hmm. For not not tourists like you slash Mormon missionaries it was taking in a, pictures. It was in a plane. Yeah. I think I took pictures, too. Yeah. So I, I saw that story in the New York uh, Daily News. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. It seems strange, doesn't and then, it? And then you find it on CNN, and then you find it in the AP, then you find it in Reuters, and you're like, what? But do you know? So they're flying spy jets? Okay. But you know how hard it is to get like a family picture together? Right. So Russia's like, okay, got to get smiles. Everybody put the missiles away. Hmm. Hide the hostages that we've taken. <laughs> True. I mean, then... I guess they give you time because you have to put your flight plan in. It just seems like this is maybe we shouldn't be doing this anymore. Oh, it, there it, they go. It has to, I think it has to do with the treaties that we have yeah. with each other and our promises to allow the other to monitor our progress in those treaties. Well, except it would make sense if you were flying over like a nuclear arms right. armed Why site. Flying over not, DC? not D.C. I mean, personally, I'd fly over the Grand Canyon. When, I'd want to maybe go see Mount Rushmore. That's where I, I'd fly. When, oh, I yeah. was, when I was a kid, we lived where I grew up. There's this company that lit, that was just a few miles away that created rocket engines. Yes, and they had Russian monitors who lived on site monitoring the company as they disassembled Minuteman missiles. Oh wow! And then my elementary school wanted to have a like hello welcome thing, welcome and so Russians. we had all the Russians come over. That's great. And we did a like a school program, and these Russians are in the front row. Did you have like Russian food? No. What's some Russian food? Borscht. Did you have Maybe any you've borscht? Had some borscht? No. I don't know if there's any food. And we sang a bunch of like you know. Did you? Yeah, you did. This Russian land is song. our land. Oh yeah, it's not your land. But like a Russian version. No, just oh. English. I don't even know how much they understood. They just sort of. Clapped politely. And that's nice. See, but see, again, that's how children are it was, changing the world. It was detente at my elementary school. Beautiful. And it was funny because we're all pointing like, those are Russians. And you look over, you're like, they look like people. Man, you know, they walk like us. What's going on? Uh, it might seem like vocal discontent about airline bumping has reached a high watermark recently, especially after a passenger was bloodied and dragged off a United flight last April. Now, new data from the U.S. Department of Transportation shows that bumped passenger rates are at their lowest level since 1995. We're bumping fewer people than ever. For the first three months of 2017, passengers were involuntarily denied boarding at a rate of uh, 0.62 per 10,000 passengers. Wow. Point what? 0.62. Per 10,000? Yeah. How do you bump half a person? Exactly. You, you know what? Don't even ask. That markedly decreased starting April. In April, the same month David Dow was forced off the United flight, the second quarter of 2017 saw a bump rate of 0.44 Ooh. per 10,000 passengers. Wow. Yeah, so it went from 0.62 to 0.44. <sighs> in the first six months, according to the new report, complaints about airline services are up. In the first six months of 2017, the department has received 9,000 customer complaints, a 7.8% increase in the first six <clears throat> months of last year. However, the annual uh, 2017 North American Airline Satisfaction Study by market research firm J.D. Power, yeah. released in May, found that overall customer satisfaction with commercial airlines is at its highest level in 13 years. facts. Well, so is it is it how is it what percentage of people they're bumping that's the problem, or is it how they're bumping them? Because like remember that one guy yeah. they grabbed by the legs and then bumped his head all the way down the aisle. Right, that was bad. Yeah, 
And then do you remember that. that one that punched a lady with a baby or whatever? Yeah, you don't want to do that. Yeah, I mean, that was bad, too. That's bad. And then sitting on the runway, those are stories are abound. Yeah. So, I mean, would you rather be sitting on the runway, not able to go to the bathroom for six hours, or punched in the face by a Delta or whatever United wow. Airlines? Choices and decisions there. The benefit is fewer people are dying in airplane crashes than ever before. He must, he must not if be enjoying – he must not be uh, enjoying life because, as you know, he said he would have rather died than missed that flight. True. Remember he said, just kill me. Just kill me. Well, and they took him literally. And finally, Anthony Scaramucci, the Mooch. former White House communications director still around? and lover of four-letter words, this says, mm. is making his late-night debut on Monday on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Wow. It's a safe bet that Colbert, who mercilessly mocked the mooch during his blink-and-you'll-miss-out White House career, will be uh, ready with some questions that can only be answered on late-night TV. The mooch. Speaking of mooches, Russia raids Mana- – or FBI raids Manafort's house? Yeah, like last month. I know, but that's crazy. That's, that's ratcheted up this thing. Hmm. They had a subpoena. Oh, no, is that what they call it? A warrant. It's a warrant. A search warrant. Right. Subpoenas come later. Yeah. But they had a search warrant to enter the house. I mean, that is Mueller's like, is that his name? Mueller. Mueller's Mueller. on Fuego. Mueller. Right. Mueller. There's a conspiracy about, because as we've talked about, they even paneled a jury, a grand jury. Yeah, a grand jury. Well, they're mad because why isn't the grand, why is the grand jury in Washington, D.C.? Why isn't it in Virginia or something? Well. And people are like, well, let's see, the president and the people around him, the people are right. being investigated, and also all the apparatus of the election is kind of centered in D.C. Right, right. And also Mueller's office is in D.C. He doesn't want to go anywhere else. What are you going to do? But what it's showing is that, that Mueller's using all of the tools that he can, all of them, including early morning raids with a warrant. You think they took all his good stuff? Like, like did they take his ALF lunchbox and his oh, POG yeah. set? Absolutely. Oh, that's so rude. Well, Alf, you know, because many think Donald and Alf had the same hairstylist. Hey. It's pretty close. That's not too far off. <laughs> um anyway, that's that was that was big news. I mean, of course I caught it. And of course our first tropical storms popping up. Franklin. Apparently first of many. Franklin? Th- this is where they start ruining a lot of good names. It's a planner? Now we're going after yeah. a planner? It's a time management tool. Hmm. The first uh, Atlantic hurricane this season has been downgraded to a tropical storm. It's called – it's named Franklin. And it hit the east coast of Mexico as a Category 1 hurricane. Now it's just a, just a little storm. Franklin. <laughs> what, what, what about the day – have you ever had one named after you? No. Me either. They don't ever like – Tropical a, storm Matthew? That seems weird. Yeah, you wouldn't be so tropical. No. You'd be more topical. More arid. <laughs> the dry Matt Townsend. Yeah. Did you hear about Walmart? Which time? Well, you know what you know who Walmart you know who they are, right? I've heard of them before. Somebody yes. somebody went in there without a shirt. They're, well, ba- they're back to school posters on top of a rifle cabinet. <laughs> uh, apparently they had a back to school poster. Uh, you know, because everything's back to school now. But uh, but part of the problem is their display was featured on a case full of firearms. But it said something like, be be your school hero or something? Own the school year like a hero. There you go. Whoa. And underneath it are a bunch of rifles and guns. So not 
air rifles, but actual rifles. Actual rifles. And huh. that's probably just one store. And just they one put store. Some sign on somebody, top. Yeah. and it's probably those hoodlum teenagers. Could have been just a prank. Just kind of looks bad. There's just something that's when you know when the when the phrase says "own the school year." Yeah. That's maybe it's it. maybe it's for 35 or 40 year olds who are going back to school. Eh. Mm-hmm. College is rough sometimes. Yeah. Night school? Oof. Own the school. <laughs> Take a gun from Walmart. Anyway, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? These kids nowadays. So many, so much news. So much stuff going on. Well, up next, our very own Jeffrey Liam Simpson will be uh, hosting an interview on how to secure or how secure are today's ATMs. Maybe not as secure as you think. Stick with us. Automated teller machines, better known as ATMs, just turned 50 this past June. Yet even 50 years later, we still have problems keeping the machines secure. Credit cards now have pins and magnetic strips, and the ATMs have cameras all around them. But thieves have kept up with the technology changes. Just how secure are today's ATMs? Well, Dr. Pradeep Atre, professor of computer science at the University of Albany, studies issues related to homeland security and privacy issues in multimedia surveillance systems. And we have him here on the show this morning. Dr. Atre, thank you so much for being on the program. Hi. Uh, good morning to you and good afternoon from New York. It's a sunny afternoon here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So clearly there are so many people around the world that are using these ATMs. How secure would you say these ATMs are, and do you use them? Yes, of course, I use them, and uh, ATMs are very useful. Uh, you know, most people use them, but like other technologies, uh, ATMs also have some security issues. Uh, and over the years, criminals have found many ways to attack ATMs, and uh, they try to steal uh, users' credentials, uh, their uh, card number and PIN, etc., and of course, they are looking for their money. And uh, there is a continuous race going on between uh, attackers and security uh, practitioners. So, yeah, yes. oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was going to, I was going to explain uh, what are the different ways uh, um, uh, ATMs can be robbed and all, uh, but probably that could be a separate question. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we'd be very interested to know what they were like when they were first invented and how they've changed throughout the years. Yes. Uh, so uh, regarding the invention, the uh, uh, first ATM was used in 1967 in London, UK, and uh, there are several claims about who invented the ATMs, uh, like a couple of folks from UK, uh, John Suffolk Barron and James Goodfellow. A couple of folks from U.S. also, and there are some Indian companies they claim that they invented it. Um, but for the, I think the first reported uh, incident of uses of ATM was in 1967 in London. Uh, so in the beginning, uh, usually uh, ATMs used to accept a slip of paper, uh, which used to have a, a mild radioactive substance on it. Uh, that is called carbon-14, and that was printed on that paper slip. Uh, in a particular pattern. Uh, so when uh, that paper was presented to the ATMs, uh, ATM would uh, detect it, and then it will verify uh, the identity of the person against uh, the PIN. Uh, 
Okay, so that's how uh, they uh, it used to be in the beginning. Now, over the years, uh, there have been lots of uh, innovations in different fields, such as uh, video display units, uh, you know, uh, innovations in plastic technology, magnetic tapes, and uh, even uh, security algorithms like encryption algorithms, and most recently, uh, graphical uh, operating systems, graphic, which has uh, graphical user interfaces like Windows operating system. So all, uh, with all these innovations, ATMs also have integrated uh, these innovations into it. And uh, so it has evolved, you know, with these technologies. So these days we use, um, you know, magnet, you know, this uh, card, uh, which is which is nothing but uh, a plastic card which has magnetic chip on it. And also it uses encryption uh, techniques uh, to uh, secure uh, user credentials. Yeah. Uh, not only that, uh, but ATMs also have gone through the uh, you know number of changes uh, like a cash aus- output mechanism into it. So there, there have been some innovations, and that's how ATMs have evolved over time. So clearly, wherever there's money, there's going to be theft. And what are some of the methods that uh, that these thieves are using to rob ATMs or the people that are using the ATMs? Yeah, there's. Uh, it's a very important question, actually, and uh, uh, the number of ways uh, to rob ATMs, uh, uh, and uh, you know, attackers have used uh, a variety of uh, methods. For example, uh, uh, one could be uh, kidnapping the person and forcing them to go to ATM to withdraw money. And there have been incidents. Uh, sometimes people have been killed after the money is withdrawn. Uh, other than that, uh, uh, some uh, there are some reports uh, where. Uh, People were were robbed in the ATM area, so when they were withdrawing their money, um, they were robbed. So they, these are the uh, kind of ways um, uh, where physically you have to uh, kind of attack uh, people and, and and then rob them. Okay. Uh, other methods could be as uh, you know attackers. They have uh, there are some instances where they have uh, physically uh, they have stolen the ATMs. So physically they have taken out the ATM and and then dismantled uh, it and so on, and then pulled the money out of it. So, uh, so yeah. Oh, I was just going to ask, how effective are these methods, and, and which methods are maybe effective, more effective than the others? Uh, yes, I, I was going to tell you that, uh, but uh, uh, I must tell you that uh, in order to stop these crimes, uh, there have been uh, certain tools and technologies which have been used, for example, video cameras, Surveillance cameras have been used uh, in ATM areas for monitoring purposes. Uh, however, uh, while these uh, surveillance cameras are, are useful, but uh, uh, they have been used, uh, they have been misused for certain purposes also. Like for example, presence of cameras, uh, it has resulted into another type of attacks. For example, eye through camera on customers' card numbers. Even uh, they can look at. Uh, that uh, the three-digit number on the back of the card, which is called card verification value, CVV. And also when a uh, uh, user is entering uh, the PIN, uh, camera can uh, catch uh, that PIN and it can be then uh, misused. Uh, this stolen data can be misused for online purchases or uh, it can be sold to uh, online uh, you know, black markets. Uh, yeah, other than that, uh, 
there are some uh, reports of installing uh, fake card slots to read the card data that can help in uh, making duplicate cards. And uh, recently, um, there are two studies, uh, one from Germany and uh, that should follow up in Canada, suggested that thermal cameras can be used to uh, capture uh, PIN of users. And uh, Oh, wow. Basically, yeah, so basically it, it works like this, that uh, whenever we uh, enter a PIN using our fingers, so our body uh, generates some heat, which is then left as an impression on the keypad. And it was found in this study that if within, let's say, 30 seconds or 45 seconds, if we can, uh, within, uh, you know, once uh, the pin is entered and within 45 seconds of that, if a thermal camera can capture that heat impression, uh, we can actually read what pin was entered. So uh, that was an interesting study. And uh, I mean, not only ATMs, but this kind of uh, attacks can be done on uh, other kind of uh, been um, uh, methods like, for example, garage door <laughs> openers uh, and so on. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, clearly, we want to be protected against these uh, these thefts. So, what measures are currently in place to protect cardholders from these thieves? Mm-hmm. Well, there are a uh, number of methods, but uh, we need to understand that we cannot completely prevent uh, these attacks and, and theft kind of thing. But there are definitely several new measures which can help uh, uh, protecting cardholders. For example, these days uh, we have CVV, which is a three-digit number on the back of the card. It's, it adds uh, uh, basically to security, it provides additional security. And also these days we have chip-enabled cards, uh, which actually verify the genuineness of the card. So it's, it's very, um, it makes very difficult to uh, duplicate or or make their fake cards uh, if you get cheap and early cards. Yeah, we're, we're speaking with Dr. Pradeep Atre, who is informing us a little bit more about ATMs and and what methods these thieves are using to steal from us at these ATMs. And uh, when we come back, we're going to continue continue the conversation, talk a little bit more about the chip readers that we use and see so much at uh, grocery stores. And maybe uh, he can give us some other tips on how we can protect ourselves against these thefts. We'll take a quick break. When we return, this is the Matt Townsend Show here on BYU Radio Sirius XM Channel 143. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt. Uh, We're speaking with Dr. Pradeep Atre, who is a PhD from the School of Computing, National University of Singapore. Actually, he received his PhD from there, and he's currently an associate professor of computer science at the University of Albany. Dr. Atre studies issues related to homeland security and privacy issues in multimedia surveillance systems. And today he's talking ATMs with us. Dr. Atre, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. So uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, the, these different measures that thieves will use to steal our cash and our, our uh, debit card numbers. Uh, I was hoping now we could talk about uh, another form of 
of security. Seemingly, it's, it seems like it's supposed to be secure. We go to the grocery store and these machines that we used, used to just swipe our debit cards through, we now have the opportunity to insert them into a chip reader. So what exactly is that chip reader or that what is what exactly is the chip doing for us? Yeah, so chip basically adds uh, additional uh, security, provides additional security in terms of it has a, it, it has a program, computer program, which actually verifies uh, not only your um, uh, identity, uh, your PIN, but also uh, it uh, verifies whether the card is uh, genuine or not, or it is a fake card. Okay, so that's what it actually okay. uh, helps in, in. and uh, it is. Uh, extremely hard to duplicate these kind of cards, which has chip enabled. So, okay, that's, so that seems like that's one way that uh, that they're trying to crack down on, mm-hmm. on people being able to steal the numbers uh, or the information from our cards. What about getting back to the ATM? What are, what are some ways that we can be cautious when using an ATM? Like you said, we're not going to be able to get rid of all of the ways that thieves use to try to steal from us. But what can we do ourselves to be cautious when we're using the ATM? Absolutely. Uh, users can uh, be vigilant about uh, certain things when they use ATMs. Uh, for example, one issue could be whether they're going to use indoor ATMs versus outdoor ATMs. So if uh, you know I'm giving a preference, I would be using indoor ATMs, which is less likely to have access to attackers and which is uh, more likely to be monitored by surveillance cameras. Uh, so, yeah, so indoor ATMs probably would be more secure than outdoor ATMs. And uh, other than that, users can also inspect uh, for physically damaged ATMs. And if they find something suspicious, maybe some small cameras or some small card readers, Attached uh, with the key, uh, keypad uh, or, or you know somewhere in the ATM area, something suspicious. They should not try to use those kind of ATMs. Uh, other than that, uh, they need to be uh, careful about soundings and uh, the people uh, in the ATM area. For example, some people in the queue might be uh, eyeing on uh, what you are entering, what you are uh, you know doing, uh, and uh, uh, it is always. Uh, uh, good to uh, cover the keypad uh, when you enter your pin so that you know no observer or even uh, surveillance camera or spy camera can see what is your pin sure uh, other than that uh, if let's say uh, in case your transaction fails so it is important that you call the bank and uh, report this incident that my transaction has failed so that they are aware of it and they can if there are any issues wait and they can fix it are we asking for trouble when we use a drive-through ATM machine? I I will admit every time I go through the a drive-through ATM, I I look over my shoulder because I think to myself, what would stop somebody from just coming right up to me and either demanding that I pull out a certain amount of cash or just ripping it right out of my hands? Absolutely, yeah. This is uh, same as you know somebody can uh, if you're in ATM area and somebody can uh, come and rob you. Uh, yeah, so it's absolutely, uh, it's it's of course it is not safe uh, always. Yeah. So, any other tips uh, as we wind down the interview here? Any other tips for how we can protect ourselves, just in general, not just our at the ATM, but how we can protect ourselves from theft? 
Uh, well, uh, what we can do is uh, we can be, um, you know, vigilant about uh, the area and, and what we're doing. Uh, but uh, more importantly, I think uh, the ATM uh, companies, uh, they should uh, provide uh, more security. These days we have a number of uh, advanced uh, authentication methods which are used in other systems. And they can also be uh, deployed at ATMs. For example, uh, two-factor authentication, which is used uh, by uh, systems like uh, Google or Facebook. Uh, so what they do is uh, they uh, actually provide two kind of uh, information uh, uh, in order to be entered uh, if you want to be authenticated. For example, uh, one is your user ID and PIN, other could be OTP, which is called one-time password, uh, which is sent to your uh, cell phone. And uh, once you receive it, you can then enter uh, that as a secondary uh, authentication um, uh, mechanism. Uh, yeah, so, uh, but recently uh, there have been some uh, reports that two-factor authentication, they're also prone to certain decks. Uh, other than that, uh, uh, biometric authentication, for example, fingerprints and, uh, you know, uh, other uh, biometric methods, uh, for example, your voice recognition or or your um, eyes, uh, retina identification kind of methods can be used. Uh, recently, uh, there have been some studies which uh, uses Bluetooth-based authentication using your smartphone. And uh, I believe that if you use a number of these authentication mechanisms, um, ATMs, uh, and if we deploy them on ATMs, they are going to be def definitely more secure, and it will be very, very hard for attackers to to counter those. However, uh, having said that, there would always be a, a race between cyber criminals and security practitioners. It will continue, and uh, so yeah, they will uh, try to come up uh, with countermeasures, and then uh, more security need to be added. Well, Dr. Pradeep Atre, thank you so much for spending your time here with us on the Matt Townsend Show and informing us of the future of ATM security and really how we can protect ourselves against theft when we go to the ATM. And uh, I'll definitely uh, do a little better job of looking over my shoulder and making sure that I cover up my numbers as I'm plugging in my PIN number. Anyway, uh, we'll take a break. When we return, we will continue the discussion here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM Channel 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You just learned about uh, ATM safety. And um, now we're going to talk about restaurant safety because, you know, I think we take a lot of things for granted. We have so many great uh, restaurants and just we've got incredible service. We have clean water at our restaurants. You can drink the water in pretty much most cities. You're safe. You're good. Except maybe the restaurateurs are a little mad because maybe the people that are going to uh, that are attending their restaurant aren't following all of the rules. And there's rules I didn't even know existed. Right. 
and a lot of them have to just common courtesy type things. The you know the people working there, they are serving you, they're helping you, yeah. but you know treat them with some respect. Yeah. Respect and R E S P E C T. Right. So there's some things that that are listed here. In Find out what it means so to me. Th- the article starts out. It says whether you're dining among among Michelin stars, okay, which yeah, would be your right. highest, the highest restaurant, uh, the highest, or five feet away from a rusted a rustic. Handcrafted backgammon set at a Cracker Barrel. Oh yeah, Ooh. that's one of my favorite things to do. At it Cracker is a Barrel. combo of common courtesy and modest respect for unspoken social contracts that keep our collective dining culture intact. Yes. Okay. Good. This, let's learn these. As Cracker Barrel founder Dan Ivins himself once famously quipped, "Manners are a sensitive awareness of the feelings of others. Mm. If you have that awareness, you have good manners, no matter what fork you use." It's a great point. But didn't your mom ever tell you not to play games at the dinner table? Yeah, and a Cracker Barrel, that's all you do. And rocking chairs. I mean, you got to rock in a rocking chair. Because <laughs> nothing nothing says healthy, good home cooking than a rocking chair. How many of those little bottles of syrup have you taken from the restaurant? <laughs> Borrowed? <laughs> I always take them back. So the first one they mention here is know the difference between a server and a busboy. Oh, oh yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, the server is the one that talks to you. It says the busser's job is described as overall mucky, as they're dumping plates and you know yep. clearing the table. Well, but, but are they upset that we're? Do they only want us interacting with the server, or and not thinking the busboy is the server? Are they offended by that? I thought that we were all people here. Apparently, people like ask the busboy to get them water or something That's actually or because they're yeah. walking by yeah. and the mm-hmm. server you're like, hey can you take these plates it's not really what they're oh, doing yeah. at the I'm moment i'm not a plate person i'm a server they're taking care of all the tables so. i got a i got an all-you-can-eat meal one time and so we never saw our waitress again yeah and our busboy was the only person that would bring us more food boy that's a bad restaurant yeah Good busboy, though. Yeah, great guy. So they're like, so the busboy's busy. They don't need the added weight of some slack-jawed sweater jackal grabbing them by the elbow and starting to ramble off an order. They're busy. What, what are you talking that? about, That's Jeff? rude. Slack Why would jaw. they say that about their customers? Slack-jawed what? Rabble rouser? <laughs> a a, a slack-jawed sweater jackal grabbing them by the elbow. Yeah, Jeff. Sweater Jackal was, uh, was my moniker in high school. <laughs> you sweater jackal. That's great. <laughs> Um, number two was never snap your fingers at a server, at a busboy, or anyone. Boy. Don't yell boy. And you're like, hey, get over Waiter. here. Waiter. You there. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, I. that's kind of weird. To I don't ever even signal them. I just. Says unless you're choking or trying to wake someone up or thoroughly enjoying a new Bossa Nova themed Cuban fusion concept, there is absolutely no excuse for snapping your fingers at anyone or anything at a restaurant setting. That's, that's a great point. That's wrong. I just do a bird call. Yeah, that helps. That helps. Except I, I do that at home, and I scared Grandma. <laughs> She's like, that freaked her And out. it says this, that's one thing that really makes people that work at restaurants mad. Yeah. Is that you treat them in that way. You're demeaning. Yeah. Uh, which you don't do to somebody that's bringing you food. Right. They have a lot of power over you at the moment. They have a lot of power behind those doors. Respect your reservation time. Yeah. If That's you true. if you call a place, it's nice. You set mm-hmm. a reservation. Don't show up late and expect them to just hold your table. No, right. That exactly. goes both ways, though. Hey, hey, good point. Don't well, hand me a little vibrating disc with lights on it. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to that one here in a minute. <laughs> okay. And that's why I'm like, 
I don't know about that. And it also says ghosting on your reservation is even worse. If you just don't show up. Ooh, is that called ooh, that's ghosting, huh? Show, just give them a call. Say you're not going to be there. Yeah. yeah. Give them some common courtesy so they can open that table up for someone else. Oh, interesting. See, yeah, these are important rules. Rules, by the way, to help you have a better relationship with your with your restaurant. Restaurant employees. Respect. And then it says you can't treat wait times as an exact science. Oh, really? Come on. So, really? Yeah. It's like somebody wants it both ways. Because at the same. But and then it says don't be that couple that sits in the same side of an otherwise empty, empty booth. Yeah. It's just weird. We called in a restaurant. We called in a reservation. Left our name. We got there. And they told us, oh, we didn't hear the name when you made the reservation. Huh? So it's like, how did I? How did you let me get off the phone with you without having my name? Or why wouldn't you just have name sounds like Rimprin? <laughs> it's kind of crackly. <laughs> so, okay. and to add on the one I just shared with uh, don't be the one, that, a couple that sits on the same side of an empty booth. Don't be the one that aggressively makes out on the same side of the empty. It's just awkward. Why? Everyone's oh, trying to eat their dinner. Oh, 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 why? Because it's awkward. I know, but you're paying for the booth. I guess. And sometimes, you know, it's really hard to get that peanut butter out of your mouth. That's right. Uh, the, one, another one they have here, a communal table is not an invitation to make new friends. You show up at Benihana, they just sort of throw oh, you around yeah. a table. It's kind of weird. Very but, weird. But having it's like war, you know. When you've gone to war with people, you feel close to them. When somebody's thrown shrimp at you, right. hot fried shrimp yeah. at you, then... You just feel closer to them, but so you want to talk. Don't people go to dinner so they're possibly with that other person and they can have a conversation? Yeah, but they don't go to Benihana for that reason. Maybe they did. Well, they don't want to talk to you. You also smell like a shrimp fry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also want to toss in the if you're in a place where tables are close together. Yeah. My wife and I have been to several restaurants where they give you like it's like one little block is your table. And it's right next to somebody else. Yeah, that's weird. And you're like, oh, that looks interesting. He's just kind of staring at their food, but it's right there. You know, so are those cheese fries? Yeah, elbow room might be an issue. You just maybe keep, you reach keep over your voice there. down. Yeah. If your phone is distracting others, it's a problem. Ah, uh, yeah, you got to have phone etiquette. People, the phones are becoming more and more of a, an issue when it comes to how people interact with each other. Yeah. But if you're trying should to take pictures of your food and get the right angle. And, should you ask your waiter to take a picture of your group? Uh, is that Or is that the busboy's job? I can't I, tell. Can't you just tell people that you went to the restaurant? Why do you need the proof? Well, because just like you, when you went and had that big mega burrito, you took a picture of it and it drew more people to your social media than ever. Okay, but that is just for perspective. Okay. Yeah, you were just trying to show this is a huge burrito. Yes. And this situation, if your 15-person birthday dinner is pausing mid-meal to take 150 different vari- variations of a group photo on 12 different phones, eh, hmm. might be a little much. Yeah, right. No, I think that's good. That's, that's great advice, folks. Again, we're here to help you be a better human being, to be the good in the world. And what better place to start than at the restaurant? That's why we do the show. Hey, next hour, we got a lot of great talk. We're going to be getting into uh, marriage in motion. What uh, what happens with, you know, why some people might choose to opt out in their marriage and uh, maybe have an affair. Interesting insights and what we can do to strengthen our marriages. That's up next hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. I have a throat lozenge in, and I am ready to go. But you got your singing voice back. Yeah, my Ethel Merman. <laughs> Except you'll be swell. It's because I'm sitting here. If I if I don't move, I don't cough. Okay, it's that simple. But the minute I have to like run to my office and get something, then run back, then I'm winded and hacking. So you just need to concentrate uh-huh. and not move. And I will – I'll test you by throwing peanuts at you just Ooh. one at a time. This is exciting. If you can get hit by those and not be phased, then you won't start coughing. Then you are a better man than I am, Gunga Din. Got a great uh, show for you today. We will be uh, talking about infidelity and some signs that uh, your your marriage, your partner may be checking out. Uh, we've got a therapist that's going to be joining us to talk about how to how to strengthen your relationship and how to how to make it to read the signs. There are certain signs that you may be losing ground, and you got to take care of that. So we'll get into all of that. Plus, of course, headlines with Terry South and some empty news hosted today by Jeffrey Liam Simpson. We're going to get into the empty news now. Again, Jeff, what is the empty? What would you? How would you define the empty news? Well, we are known for being first on the scene and fifth on facts. Yes. Speed is of the essence with our news. Yeah. So not, accu- not necessarily accuracy. These aren't going to be the important news stories that Terry's going to share with you, or at least, the, you know, there could, because there are still lessons to be had from these stories. Sure, sure. But maybe just not lessons that you knew you needed to have. Yeah. Yeah. But they're always entertaining, informative, and uh, uplifting in a way. In a way. In a way. I mean, in a very roundabout way. Yeah. They're very informative. They're very interesting. Uh, Crazy news headlines. This one blew my mind. And I'm not one that usually leads the day with a a Kardashian story. I don't think I've ever even heard you lead the day with the Kardashian or even say that word. Really. But I'm, I'm going to lead today with a story that you won't believe. So one of uh, the Kardashian kids, uh, it's actually a Jenner. Okay. Kylie Jenner is her name. Mm-hmm. Now, have you heard of Kylie? I've heard of uh, Jenner. Yeah. But not so, Kylie. So there was there – was, um, They all start with K, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Kylie, Kim, Chloe. Uh, there and so Kylie, kite, Kylie, K- K- Kenner, <laughs> Chris is the mom. Chris Jenner. Okay. Well, their daughter Kylie didn't even know her because I knew the Kardashian, the one Kardashian that's married to the rapper Wes Kanye, K- Kim, Kim and Kanye. Okay, so her sister Kylie, um, she apparently. Is is kind? They're calling her the Netflix of the cosmetics world. Hmm. I had no idea about this, but in eighteen months, does she months, binge on it, or does she binge on cosmetics? Kind of. Yeah, okay. kind of. Um, well, a, a magazine did a, a, a article on her, and they found out that in eighteen months, she's a nineteen-year-old girl. 
Mm-hmm. Guess she has built a, a cosmetics company called Kylie Cosmetics. Okay. Guess how much money it's worth now in 18 months. Well, if they're comparing it to Netflix, I'm guessing it's quite a lot of money. $420 million in retail sales. What? This 19-year-old girl, Kylie Jenner, has built a company that made $420 million in retail sales. That's crazy. I know. It's not even just crazy. It's ludicrous. Does your daughter, which is another rapper, by the way, yeah. does your daughter own any no. of this makeup? No. No. I, maybe she does. We don't talk about it. But hmm. $420 million Kylie's cosmetic company is worth, and it's destined to become a billion-dollar company within the next five years. Good for her. So uh, you hear about all these other Jenners. I guess one of them's a model. One of them, uh, I don't know, is getting divorced. One of them wants to have a baby. <laughs> one of them, anyway. And, so, the, and the youngest one worth has a company worth four hundred twenty million. So how is this not the one that we hear the most about? Why because are we spending any she's time? Probably or, the healthiest normal one. We shouldn't be spending any of our breath. Talking about the other Kardashians. It's so true. So this is an incredible businesswoman. By the way, when she first started her company, she her her goal was to sell five thousand units of her lip kit. Hmm. Twenty nine dollars each. You do realize this is all like the the Trump approach to business. Oh yeah, sure. They just put their name on something. Well, but again, oh sure, she's not. Kylie's not in right. the backyard. She's mixing not the this inventor. Stuff up. Well, but, no, not even that. It's it's like it's not like she's in the office and she's in the boardroom. No, she just right. puts her name on it. Other people run the company, but yeah. But it's her company. It's under. It's named after her. And sure. watch how weird they now sell three hundred thousand units of every hue of sh- and shade of lipstick. Okay, now I feel like maybe we shouldn't be talking about it as much because I thought. Yeah, I thought she just had a bunch of pigs running around in the backyard with makeup on. And yeah. No. No. <laughs> anyway, I, I, the, to me, because I've nobody's laughed more at the Kardashians than me because, like, they're not doing anything real. But Kylie Jenner's built a company that's worth – that did $420 million in sales. Does any of the money go to charity? Oh, I'm sure. Okay. A couple bucks here and there. Sure. Pennies on the dollar. But anyway, um, so don't think all Kardashians don't have, you know, the, the, don't don't think they're all the same. They pretty much are. <laughs> anyway, you might uh, have some side deals that are. I'm okay, trying to but... be nice to the Kardashians, yeah. but I mean, Why? I, and I, because I'm a business person too, and oh. I I admire the fact that I know what it takes to make a dollar in business. Can you just picture their her mom meeting with some business guy saying, "Can you come up with a hobby for my daughter?" My, she doesn't have a hobby. I have one daughter that doesn't <laughs> seem to have anything else, but she's probably the richest daughter. Don't, don't even look to the the revenue that the iPhone app made Kim Kardashian. Sheesh. That's ridiculous. Yeah, but Kim's different. She, she? Kim Kardashian West. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Soon to be first lady of really? the United States. Oh, I guess you're right mm-hmm. when Kanye runs. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's my little information. Little uh, news update, and we're all better for it. Business you know? update for everybody. Uh, Wrong. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Defense Secretary James Mattis issued a stern warning to North Korea on Wednesday amid reports that the regime now has the ability to produce miniaturized nuclear warheads that could be 
attached to ballistic missiles. The DPRK, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, must choose to stop isolating itself and stand down in in its uh, pursuit of nuclear weapons, Mattis said in a statement. The DPRK should cease any consideration of actions that would lead to the end of its regime and the destruction of its people. Wow. Mattis said the U.S. is committed to diplomatic relations uh, a diplomatic resolution to the crisis, but added the combined allied militaries possess most precise, rehearsed, and robust defensive and offensive capabilities on Earth. Yeah. So we're willing to talk about it. We're also willing to blow you up. Go. You're, 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 you're this moved. is what I love. This is the general I was talking about in the first hour. He doesn't. He's well, the defense secretary. Yeah. Doesn't mess around. He's the guy that said if you if you uh, take away the diplomats and you better give me more bullets. That's what he said when he was a general. Wow, Whoa. that's a great point. He's like, if we're not going to talk about this and try to ratchet things down, then you're going to put me in a situation where I need guns. So, well, you know, and it's actually better to say it that way than give me some bullets and I'll take away the diplomats. Right. That could have been a whole different Stop know, moving, by the way. I don't want you to start coughing. I know. That's a good point. More and more refugees are crossing into Canada from the United States, and the Canadian military is now building a camp to house 500 asylum seekers in Quebec. From January 1st to June 30th, more than 3,300 people made their way from the U.S. to Quebec, the BBC reports, and there is nowhere for them to stay as their asylum applications are being processed. This camp near Plattsburgh, New York, will be built by the military and have heated tents fitted with uh, flooring and electronics and all this stuff. These are people coming from the Middle East? No, from they come from the the Middle East to the U.S. And then now they're heading to Quebec. And now they're headed to Quebec. Are we sure that they're not just Americans heading to Quebec? They might we, be, they one might. of our sponsors was the travel board of that is true. Canada. They might yeah. be Americans. You never know. Okay. <laughs> they're ex- the exodus, the American exodus. New data has revealed that one in eight Americans are now alcoholics due to an alarming rise in alcohol consumption in women, elderly people, and ethnic minorities. Really? One in eight people. So what's happened to the white male? Because apparently the men aren't doing it. Well, I guess oh, they're yeah. all in the opioid, opioid yeah. epidemic. They've, they've moved on to something else, apparently. But uh, still, there's you know white, white males have a problem. One in eight. Also. Says experts at the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism say the rise could uh, constitute a public health crisis that yeah. is being overshadowed by the opioid epidemic and marijuana legalization. During an 11-year gap, the number of people who received a diagnosis of alcoholism shot up by 49%, mm. meaning 12.7% of the population, or roughly one in eight Americans, are alcoholics. Oh, the boy. research team didn't give a reason for the spike in alcoholism, but they, the increase came about as it became more socially acceptable for women to drink. They also noted the stress could be a major factor in this. Okay. Attack. Wow, that's a one in eight. That's got to be higher than the Nutella epidemic. True. I deal with stress by eating and watching Netflix. I do too. Hmm. I But I don't eat. I just watch Netflix and cough. You know what, though? A lot of babies, they when they get stressed, they turn to the bottle. They hit that Holy bottle hard. Holy cow. Those babies throw that bottle back. Drives me crazy. Wow. That went a weird place. Totally. Um, <laughs> so th- this final final story starts with a question. Yeah. Do aliens use Twitter? Oh, for sure. In fact, <clears throat> yeah. Just, <laughs> In fact, yeah. Like, look, just look at... Look at all of the comments. Hmm. Like Donald Trump posts something, and then right. look at all the comments. Okay. You know there's aliens. There's aliens. You, are you talking about illegal aliens? No. Oh, okay. So then the next question is, what do they use to get Twitter? 
do they use a phone? Do they have a computer? I mean, yeah, I think does their technology work with our tech? Is it compatible? I'm not I sure. I think they just put their fingers or whatever you would call them to their heads. Their digits. Yes. And they just send it out that way. So it's an important question because <laughs> to honor the 40th anniversary of Voyager's mission to deep space, NASA wants to send a single tweet into the heavens to represent all of humanity. Oh, don't do it. And NASA wants your ideas for what we should send to interstellar space. Donald Trump is totally entering this contest, isn't he? The exercise inspired by a set of friendly messages, images, and music that are on Voyager's golden record. If you remember, Voyager goes out, it's a space probe, a satellite, and in it there is a golden record. And on it is a bunch of audio that is representative of the human race. Music, speeches, things of that nature. Uh And the agency will pick up uh, pick one tweet to send on September 5th, which is the 40th anniversary of Voyager 1, in the uh, direction of the far-flung spacecraft. So hmm. they'll send a tweet electronically to the spacecraft. I'm predicting it's going to be hashtag Tweety McTweetface. <laughs> tweet it, yeah, tweet That's that. where the problem comes up. If you have a great idea, you can submit it by tweeting it with yeah, the hashtag at message to Voyager. Good. This will not end well. Among other fuel rules, there is a 60-character limit, which is... Interesting, because yeah. it's 140, right? And right, then right, right. say 60. So the submissions must be in by midnight on August 15th, the, which is next week. The submission will be judged by NASA, the Voyager team, and Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and the public will vote on a final winner in an online poll. But you want to you – how do you choose the thing that best represents, you know, Earthlings? Huh. It just seems like it, it could. This could go so wrong, and it does seem like it'll be a U.S. centric audience well, that would be voting on this. So, does so. that represent the planet? Probably not. It just represents us, I'm, right? I'm predicting that they're going to find whatever tweet we send offensive, and then maybe North Korea and the United States are going to have to use their missiles on the aliens. Mm. And we're all united as a people, and we have peace on the entire. Well, I, so it could be a good thing. It yeah. all comes full circle here. There we go. I think it's. I think it's obviously got to be something like Gangnam Style. <laughs> wow! Don't you think? This, I mean, because so, that's international. Kofifi, yeah. and well, it could just it be, could be Kofifi. Kofifi. It could totally be that. <laughs> maybe that. Maybe that's what it really means. Maybe there's some sort of intergalactic meaning to it. Boy, I think this is going to get ugly. It's probably a when deal. You op- when you open it up to choices like this and a vote, it doesn't go. Kofifi is probably some sort of coded message about a possible branding opportunity on a, you know, hotel on Mars. I or think. It, well, I think it's like, hey, do you want to do Trump hotels on Mars? That's what I mean. Yeah. And he's trying to get his, you know, get in there before anyone else gets into that new market. <sighs> I don't know. Seems crazy. Yeah. Well. Uh, let's uh, take a second and get uh, to some of the empty news with our own uh, empty news uh, newscaster, Jeffrey Simpson. The empty news team, first on the scene, fifth on facts. I think we've got time for one of these stories. Let's do it. But uh, I want to warn you, I don't want to uh, play with your emotions too much. Oh, boy. Okay. Is it? Okay. So a terrified UK woman called an experts from the RSPCA the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, Mm -hmm. after finding the tarantula, a tarantula the size of her hand. What? Scary. Only to find out it was made of plastic. Oh. 
So the spooked out unnamed mother spotted the eight-legged creature in the understairs cupboard while cleaning it out. As I said, she panicked and called the RSPCA, who sent an inspector round to her home equipped with gloves and nets only to shine a light and discover it was plastic. (laughs) Was that your spider impression? That's my asthmatic laugh. After telling the woman this, the toy was presented to her young son, who confirmed with an angelic, innocent face that it was his. Oh, boy. The inspector said she rushed to the address in Alresford, Hampshire, last uh, Thursday as she prepared herself to collect the tarantula. She said the caller had had stated there was a tarantula the size of her hand in the understairs cupboard. She had left it there, uh, not touching it, and called us for assistance. I turned up with gloves and nets to confine the creature, and the woman left me to it, shutting doors around me to prevent its escape. It was dark under the stairs, but I could see legs behind a vacuum cleaner that certainly were tarantula size. Them there, legs. However, as I shone light, I could see that it was in fact a toy. (laughs) She added, the poor caller was obviously embarrassed, but it won't be the first or last time we have a call like that, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. So, there's a rule to this. Yeah. You always poke it once. Oh, absolutely. You got to poke it. If it squeaks. You, yeah. if well, it squeaks, I don't know because I think it'll squeak even if it's not plastic. No, well, they yeah. like to squeak. If it's a squeaky toy, sure. But you got you to gotta, like do something to make it move. If it's not moving, then you don't need to worry about calling anybody. Yeah. But, you know, this story, it, it really made me scared because I, would, I was thinking it was going one way and then it went another way. See, I think this is – It just zigged and zagged. This is the problem with journalism and news today is you don't know yeah. if it's a real story because they set it up like this could be a terror, terror, uh, terrifying thing. But in reality, it was just kind of a stupid mistake. Yeah. And I don't know if you knew this, but there was actually a story that was told by – I don't know his name, but he's kind of like Vincent Price – and uh, telling the no. story in front of the oh, fireplace. No, I love Vincent Price. Yeah, and it's uh, this is eerily similar to this true story, hmm. and uh, it it also plays with your emotions quite a bit. Hmm, so I think we've got it. Welcome to Twisted Tales, stories of the macabre inspired by actual events. Today's Twisted Tale is entitled Eight Legged Fear. Mary Abbotton let out a terrified scream when she noticed a tarantula the size of her hand crawling up her foot. In a panic, she called an RSPCA inspector, only to discover later the hairy arachnid was made of plastic. Pacified, she breathed easy again, only to be scared out of her skin by a loud knock at the door. Alarmed at the mysterious late-night visitor, she reluctantly inched her way toward the front door, only to remember her call to the RSPCA. Regaining her composure, she opened the door, only to discover it was not an inspector from the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, but a representative from the other RSPCA, the Royal Society of Public Certified Accountants. Uh, Your capital account is insolvent. Fearing for her life, she slammed the door shut, frantically turned the lock, and ran toward her bedroom, only to trip over a sharp object. 
Upon further inspection, she saw that it was just her son's Lego set. She sat there, relieved, only to remember she didn't have a son. Her ear-piercing screams led to tears of terror. She reached for her box of Kleenex, only to discover the box was empty. She rushed to the lavatory, hoping some toilet paper could act as a suitable substitute, only to discover the TP was one ply. Reeling in horror, she threw herself into the bathtub, only to discover a tarantula the size of her hand crawling up her foot. Join us next time for another terrifying edition of Twisted Tales. <laughs> Excuse me. Welcome back, friends. You know, we should always strive to make our marriages a top priority no matter what life brings. Constant communication, intentional quality time, and laughter keep us focused on building our relationships with each other. But, uh, you know, with it being the most important relationship in your life, it, it's, it's hard. It's a, it's a difficult thing to keep on top of. And um, when two people spend a lot of time together and start to share their life together, there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be problems. So today we wanted to uh, give you some tools, some information on how you can actually strengthen your marriage, make it a, a healthier place for everybody, and also maybe do what you can to ensure that uh, your partner and you can stay faithful to each other and, and make it through the hard times. Joining us to talk about it is Laura Heck. She's a therapist in a private practice in Salt Lake City and uh, is also uh, completed advanced training, clinical training in Gottman Method Couples Therapy. John Gottman has been on the show once I'm um, talking to us about he's one of the leading researchers in marriage and family. And Laura is uh, doing some of the work for Dr. Gottman. Laura, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. This is, um, I mean, marriage is hard, right? And there's there's difficult parts about it. We're different. We Men and women have differences in how we might approach certain conflicts, and, and every person is different in how they do it. Talk to us about what you see as a, as a counselor, as a professional. What, what are some of the biggest issues that you see, you know, impacting marriages today? Oh, you know, I think I, I would agree with you completely that marriages, they really ebb and flow through time. And it's from the get-go, from the very beginning. So, you know, imagining that your marriage is supposed to be this idyllic, romantic, um, always-on, perfect story, I think that that's just a, a major fallacy. So what I see most often is something that I would call roommate syndrome, where couples have uh, sort of the, the spark has left the marriage. And so they're really sort of living these parallel lives. They're raising children. They're making income. You know, they share uh, a house and cars, but there isn't a whole lot of emotional intimacy between the two of them. And I'm seeing that more and more often in my practice with couples. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're highly conflictual. It's actually the opposite. It's that they're avoiding conflict. They're not rocking the boat. And so I call this roommate syndrome. I'm seeing that a lot. Oh, boy. And so, I mean, and you can actually see that, too, where it's easy to come home. Two people are tired. They just turn to their phones. They turn to their Netflix. And, you know, yeah. they might enjoy watching shows together, but they're no longer interacting together. 
Exactly. It's sort of side by side. They're doing life side by side, or they might be tag teaming. You know, one person's cooking while the other person's getting the kids off to bed, and they're not finding a whole lot of connection time. And uh, and that's really tough because when you do that for so long, um, it's really difficult to feel really romantic and intimate with your partner. Is I mean that's interesting because. Um, you look at something like tag teaming, it's it's kind of a mm-hmm. it's an essential thing. You've got to figure out a way to get uh, everything done with your family and life and work. But the very, you know, method of being efficient may be actually creating a longer term problem for you of disconnection. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know what? I am guilty of it. I tag team with my husband often because, you know, one of us wants to do something that evening. And so we're just kind of dividing and conquering. But one of the ways that you can get through that, just sort of a simple marriage hack would be choose to do it together. It doesn't take two parents to bathe a child, but that could be a really great time to connect, check in, have a conversation with your partner, sit side by side while one kid's in the in the tub and the other one's running around. But you know, have some time where you can actually do things together, sit down for a meal together, cook together, do as many things as you can together, if you possibly can. Yeah. I mean, it's because the funny thing is, is you can. And uh, mm-hmm. but even the phrase divide and conquer, what you may not realize is it's dividing you. It's dividing mm. your relationship and it's conquering. Right. I mean, that's what's so funny about having your first child you you do seem to do everything together with the child. You know, you mm-hmm. both bathe the child. You, you you do everything you can together because it's such a novelty. And then the longer right. or the more kids you get into this, then it's like, eh, I've already yeah. bathed the child before. Yeah, and oftentimes, you know, I've had I've had couples that come to see me and they say, you know, once we put the kids to bed. I don't feel like I have anything to come out to, you know, like, why aren't you rushing out to spend time with me? Well, you know, there's nothing waiting on the other end of it. If you are so disengaged in your relationship, you're so checked out, your partner's not waiting for you. You don't have anything to look forward to. Yeah. Again, we're speaking with Lara Heck from the uh, her website's Lara Heck Therapy, and she is a therapist in Salt Lake City. Lara, talk to us about the conflict, because one of the things I know that John Gottman works uh, a lot in, in um, his love labs and in other places, is conflict. And it, there are some pretty um, obvious differences in conflict. What What, what do you see so t- one topic, I mean, there's a variety of topics that could be brought up, but it's really the pattern mm-hmm. of how we handle the conflict that matters. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So conflict is 100% A-OK in relationships. And, and as a couple therapist, if I have a couple that comes to see me and they're highly conflictual, I would take that burning hot couple any day over a couple that's stone cold and totally disengaged and and says, we don't have any conflict at all. It's really about how you have conflict. So conflict can be really healthy. It can actually bring couples together. It can make uh, the experience between them more intimate when you're able to problem solve and reach a solution that meets both of your needs. But uh, yeah, conflict is an interesting thing because I don't think that we have necessarily the right tools in order to handle conflict effectively. And that's really sort of what I work with couples is around communication about how to handle conflict in the relationship. Is it because it, it seems like once you start losing momentum in the relationship and it's almost seems natural to lose momentum in the relationship, uh, you, you start sliding down this hill and then you fall into patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is it 
I, I guess you can reverse momentum. Oh, 100%. I think that a lot of people think that it, once you get stuck, you're forever stuck. And the nice part is that we relationships, they ebb and flow, but it really takes a conscious effort, and it doesn't take large efforts. It's, it's small wins over time that create the greatest impact. So if you can put these small efforts into the relationship over time, it's going to turn into something really wonderful. And and you don't want your relationship to grow stale or to neglect it. So if you build in these really healthy habits over time, you don't even think about it. It just happens. Those small wins are happening every single day without even thinking about it. Hmm. John Gottman is known for... um his work in – really, as, a, as probably one of the most prolific mm-hmm. writers and researchers in marriage and family. But he mm-hmm. breaks down the fact that our problems kind of fall into two categories, perpetual and solvable. Right. So maybe right. give us some insight into that because some people think, sure. you know, there's some things that, you know, that can never be fixed. And, and apparently some of the research proves that. Yeah, yeah. So it was really interesting. So John Gottman's a researcher uh, and a mathematician and a psychologist. I mean, he's like the triple threat. Uh, I call him the Michael Jordan of couples therapy. So what he did was he created this love lab on the University of Washington's campus. And uh, he would have couples come in and he would ask them to have these conflictual conversations. And he, he studied couples over time. So he would bring them back every few years and he would ask, I just want you to pick a conversation that is you know, unresolved. You know that it brings tension. I want you to talk about it for 10 minutes. And he would film them. And then he'd check back in with them a few years later. And he'd say, I want you to pick a conversation that you have conflict around. And strangely enough, wouldn't you know it, these couples were still having the same conflict conversation about the same topic. It might be about the in-laws, about finances. And so what he came to the conclusion of is that of all conflict, 69% of that conflict is going to be perpetual, meaning that it's going to come back over and over and over, over time, because that conflict is grounded in these fundamental differences between individuals. When you marry someone, you're really signing up for 69% of the same conflict. Hmm. So, uh, you know, for me, I'm strangely enough, I'm an introvert, but my husband's an extrovert. And so those differences, we butt up against those differences all the time. Every single weekend when he wants to go out and hang out with friends and be social, I feel like I just kind of want to hunker down and I want to watch a good show on Netflix and, and eat a bowl of popcorn. So it's it's those perpetual differences that cause that constant conflict in the relationship. And if you can learn to recognize the difference between the perpetual issues and then the solvable issues, then you can go about it differently because it's a different solving tactic. Um, and then, so if 69% are perpetual issues, that means 31% of your problems you're going to be able to solve, and you should solve them, not leave them unresolved. Mm. And so it, it's, that's interesting because it, it might be a personality issue. It might be, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that your parents are who they are. It might be your financial background. I mean, those are things right. that perpetually will create problems. So is, is knowing that it's a perpetual problem, does that is that supposed to adjust how we deal with it? Absolutely, right. Because a lot of people think, uh, you know, when as a couple therapist, couples come to me and they basically point their finger at their partner and they say, they need to be fixed, fix them. So if I can understand what conflict they're going through and help to point out that, look, 
what you're going through right now, this is a perpetual issue. So I want us to get comfortable in the discomfort, that you are going to experience discomfort around this topic for the rest of your life. And for some people, that's encouraging because they're like, oh, this is normal. Great. And for some people, it could probably be difficult, but it means that it's an unsolvable problem. You can maybe come up with a temporary compromise for that situation where you say, you know what, I'll go out with you tonight. I, I am really tired and I don't feel like being social, but I know that it's important to you, so I'll go out with you tonight, hang out with friends. Um, I think just simply having the insight of knowing that these are fundamental differences that are not going away, it's ingrained in my partner. My partner will forever be uh, a neat a neatnik, and I will forever be the type of person that throws all of my clothes on the floor, and it's just going to drive you bonkers for the rest of your life. Sort of that idea that the grass is greener on the other side, you're just swapping out 69% of your problems for another 69% of your problems. Right. So is it, um, because I always hear couples say, but yeah, but if you date, you know, if you date long enough, you'll find the person that is more like you, and then you won't have any of these problems. Oh, no. No, you're always going to have conflict. And it's really just about sort of recognizing what's going to stick around uh, and what's not going to stick around. So when you have problems with, uh, you know, raising your kids, your kids won't be around for 18, you know, you'll have them for 18 years and then you won't have them. So um, you might have some fundamental differences in how you want to raise your children. One of you might have been raised in a home that was a little more strict and one of you uh, the parents were a little more lackadaisical, but after 18 years, the kids are going to be gone. Yep. And then everything changes. Uh, we're speaking with Lara Heck from com, and we're talking about marriage and how to make sure that uh, you're setting yourself up to succeed in marriage. We'll continue the journey in just a minute. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, uh, your guide on the side. And we're speaking with Laura Heck, who is a, a marriage counselor from Salt Lake City, Utah. And she's teaching us about uh, the importance of really engaging in your marriage, being, being um, dealing with your communication, your conflict problems as early as you can in the marriage. Uh, she um, has uh, been trained in the uh, Gottman Institute's um, methods, couples therapy. Uh, John Gottman, remember, has been on the show before and really one of the great uh, icons and leaders in the research of marriage and family. Lara, thank you again for being with us. You bet. When we talk about it, um, there are certain signs that might be telling you that your partner is, um, they're sliding, they're they are distancing themselves from you. Walk through some of the signs that we should be paying attention to that tell us that we probably need to focus on the marriage. Sure. Yeah. So probably the first one would be that your partner is disengaged because of the way in which they are viewing you. 
So we can tell based on the type of lenses that our partner is wearing. I call them the rose-colored glasses and then the opposite-colored glasses. Uh, and so I won't share what color they are when I am working with couples. But it's basically the idea that they're in this negative sentiment override, that the way in which they view you is so negative that they become just really critical of just the small things. So you might make a small mistake or maybe you don't even make a mistake, but they're viewing very neutral things in the relationship as negative. That would indicate that they're in a negative sentiment override. And this is an an unhealthy place to be in. It doesn't mean that you're stuck there. Um, You can absolutely overcome negative sentiment override, but it's, it's something to be aware of. Is it, I mean, because it really makes sense, right? If I feel threatened by my partner, if I feel like they're not loving me or connecting with me, then it's natural to maybe start seeing them as a threat, but natural isn't healthy. Exactly. It's not healthy. And oftentimes your partner may not be doing anything that's actually making you get into that mindset. It's it's a personal choice. So in couples therapy, we we work on what you have control over. Oftentimes you don't have any control over your partner. So if your partner is being critical of you, um, you have a, a the ability to then recognize what your response will be. You can either become defensive or you might be able to take some responsibility. So when negative sentiment creeps in, it's really being able to recognize that, hey, you know, I think you may have, uh, you may be viewing me in the wrong light. And so it's the person who is in that negative mindset that has to take control for themselves of turning it around, be choosing to put those rose-colored glasses back on and begin looking at the positive aspects of your partner. Boy, that's and that's the hard part. One of the things I know um, John Gottman also talks a lot about is stonewalling. And yeah. I, stonewalling is – it seems like it's it's generally more attributed to men um, who maybe are have more of an aversion to wanting to talk about certain things. Maybe explain stonewalling for us. Sure. Yeah. So stonewalling is when you're in this conversation and maybe some of your listeners will be like, yes, my partner stonewalls. So of stonewallers, Dr. Gottman found that 85% of them are men. It doesn't mean that women don't stonewall, but there's something going on um, that is more common with men. And I'll explain what it is in just a moment. But stonewalling is when you're in a conversation and your partner disengages from the conversation physically. So they're physically present, uh, but they're emotionally checked out. They might turn their eyes down. Uh, they might uh, cross their arms, they might not respond at all. They give you zero verbal indication or nonverbal cues that they're listening to you. That's really difficult for the person who's trying to solve a problem or have a conversation because now all of a sudden their partner's checked out from the conversation, even though they're still physically present. Yeah, you see that a lot with your clients, I'm sure, where you know one's excited to be there and you can see he's right. distant, he's, his arms are crossed. He's moving right, on. Exactly. Yeah. And but, you know, it doesn't uh, you don't get away with it in my office yeah. because we're learning healthy habits and that's an unhealthy habit. It's one of the four horsemen that Dr. Gottman identified. So what what's really going on is that it's an attempt at self-soothing. It's a shutting down. If I say anything more, it's just going to escalate the conversation. So what I would then teach these partners is if you find yourself shutting down, if you find yourself stonewalling, it's time to take a break you're probably so emotionally flooded that you're attempting to take a break, but you haven't actually said to your partner, hey, you know, I need, I need 20 minutes to take a break here. I need to think. I need to 
cool off. I'm so emotionally flooded. And so that's what I teach couples is rather than checking out of the conversation, take a 20 minute break. Well, and recognize what it is, right? Say I'm falling into my pattern of wanting to stonewall. So can we take a break? And I guess part of the key to, to taking a break I've noticed with my clients is you have to come back. Um, because oh, sometimes people are like, yeah, look, hey, we just need to take a break, and then we never come back, and never coming back seems to cause even bigger problems. Right, yeah, especially for people that have abandonment issues. When your partner says, I need to take a break, and then they leave the house to go take the dog for a walk, that just leaves the other partner who has abandonment issues at home freaking out because you know their partner just left them in a very important conversation. So send an alarm on your phone, always come back. Maybe you haven't de-escalated and haven't calmed down in 20 minutes. So come back to your partner and say, I'm going to need another 20 minutes. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's interesting because it's, it really is just, it's about kind of being emotionally mature. The problem is many of us have a history that, that makes it so we're not as mature emotionally. Yeah, absolutely. We'd rather fight. Yeah. We'd rather run. We'd rather escalate and, and, you know, fighting is still emotion. I mean, that that's that's a it, but it's ineffective, as you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's OK. I mean, I think that people use the word fighting and conflict interchangeably. And I think that there's a right way and a wrong way to fight and a right way and a wrong way to have conflict. Neither. Uh, I think you should. You should have conflict. If you have a problem, you should be able to complain about it and complain early and often. Um, but there are absolute patterns that we have been raised with. They're so deeply ingrained. And oftentimes you need an outsider's point of view to be able to say, this isn't serving your relationship. Let's work on unwiring these and then rewiring some new habits. That's great insight. How um, I know you also have, uh, at some point you also, it's not just about conflict uh, resolution. You also have to have spark. You have to keep the relationship uh, alive. What are some ideas you teach uh, to create the spark and bring this, the life back to the marriage? Yeah, so spark, it's an acronym. So the first person is, uh, the first S is for sharing your dreams. I would love for couples to be able to have those conversations about what are your dreams and what do you want to do with the rest of your life and what do you have passion around and what is your purpose and how can our dreams interlock? How can we share a dream that really joins our purposes together? We have two people, and I'll use Dr. John Gottman and Dr. Julie Schwartz Gottman as an example. Here you have this amazing researcher that was making a pretty good living watching relationships fail, um, and he was studying them. But then he met his wife, Julie Schwartz Gottman, and she was making her living helping relationships. And so they blended those two dreams together, and they said, what can we do? And they developed the Gottman Institute, and they were able to really transform millions of lives around the world through their research and through their interventions. And that right there is a shared dream. So Mm. those two have really done something wonderful where now they have a shared purpose in life. That brings people together. So that's the S in Spark. The P is play. And I think that a lot of couples forget to play. And it's one of my favorite things to do is to have couples think about something that they did early on in life when they were children that they really enjoyed. So it's summer. There's an amazing rec center near our home. My husband and I will put our kid into uh, the little daycare center there, and we'll go out and we'll do a high dive contest. I'm awful. It scares me, but it's so fun to play with my partners. So that's play. And I Mm. think that that's really important to bring that spark back. 
A is for asking questions. And this is all about avoiding the shop talk that we fall into. Oftentimes it's, did you put gas in the car? How was work, honey? What are we having for dinner? None of that is actually intimate conversation. But when you ask questions, like open-ended questions, and it guides you away from the shop talk, that's where you can actually deepen that intimacy and bring that spark back to your relationship. So it might be a question like, um, you know, if you didn't go into the career that you're in now, what would you do with your life? And just allow that conversation to go. Just be curious on purpose with your partner. Hmm. The R is for romance, and I'm actually, I just started a five-day series, and it's the five-day uh, romance challenge, and I give a prompt as to how to bring romance back, like t- taking a bubble bath with your partner, scheduling a date night. Um, and I think romance is important. It's different from intimacy. Romance is sort of those things that you do for your partner, buying a special gift for them, surprising them, making them feel special to you that you've been thinking about them. And then the K in spark is kiss. And Dr. Gottman said six-second kiss is a kiss with possibilities. Hmm. So you want to kiss, but don't let it be a peck. Just allow yourself to melt into that kiss. That's great. I mean, really, yes, it's basic things. Spark. And it, it uh, not only revives you, but it revives the marriage. It keeps hope alive. Uh, well, Lara, we appreciate you and the great work uh, that you're doing there. Everybody can go check out your website, larahecktherapy.com, larahecktherapy.com. Um, again, folks, this is about one of your most important relationships on earth, probably your most important relationship that marriage, and it really is a guide for your kids. It's a, how you handle your marriage sets up a lot of expectations for all relationships in a family. And uh, that's why we're trying to do what we can to help you be the good in your marriage. That's the, that's the goal of the program is to give you the tools you need to just take it to the next level. Up next, we'll continue the journey, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter, at Dr. Matt Show. Now, here is Dr. Matt Townsend. Dr. Matt here, and uh, as we like to do um, at the end of the show, we and throughout the show, we like to bring you empty news. News that it's not actually empty, it's, it's Matt Townsend news. People That's always right. think it sounds like it's empty, like there's nothing in there. Oh, and once you hear this story, you'll know that it's not empty. Are you ready for Let's this? Hit it. Yeah. So, police are investigating a bizarre heist of a 1,700-pound barbecue pit from a popular Albuquerque restaurant. Somebody stole a 1,700-pound barbecue pit? I don't even know how you do that. The Albuquerque Journal reports police say the black and red 200-gallon smoker uh, smoke or smoker was stolen early Sunday. Smoker? Dan- <laughs> Daniel Morgan, the owner of Pepper's Old Fashioned Barbecue, Ole spelled O-L-E, ah, quaint. says the smoker was cooking up a batch of brisket when it was taken. Morgan says most of the meat the restaurant serves is prepared in an indoor barbecue pit, and he uses the custom-built apparatus for catering gigs. Oh, no. So he's lost his moneymaker. He's lost his moneymaker. Because what do you do when somebody steals your barbecue pit? You're smoker. Now you got to go smokeless. You're smoked. <laughs> There's nothing you can do. It is the type of thing that could only happen in... Really? 
Are they big on stealing smokers? I guess so. That's good. Well, I feel bad for the guy. Well, we'll watch out for you. If anybody out there has seen a 1,700-pound uh, uh, barbecue pit driving around town, uh, let let him know. Really well, quick, yeah. how do you spell Albuquerque? A-L-B-U-Q-U-U-E-R-Q-U-E. Albuquerque. Very good. Greatest smokers in the West. That's hour number two of the program. Up next, we'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Hello, friends. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. This is the program where you give the latest and greatest uh, information, the news you need to live healthier, happier lives, right? Nobody was born with an owner's manual. So instead, we bring it to you every single day, uh, joined by Jeff Simpson and Terry South. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about your routines, your habits, your practice. It makes or breaks you. It's one of my favorite interviews is with uh, this Tim Pitchell. He really is an he's a great researcher, but he talks about procrastination and the habits and the structure you use to set up your life. And if you don't set up the right structure, it's going to slowly mess you up. I've put off being healthy my whole life. I'm finally starting to do something about it. I don't think I can make, I don't think I can build my life around a no carb diet though. You can't do it. Which is something that my doctor, physician suggested to me yesterday. I can't do that. No sourdough bread, no rice. Do you eat a lot of sourdough bread? I love it. I do I think too, it's but I don't best, think... I think it's the best grilled cheese breakfast sandwich mm. oh, wow, with really? sourdough bread. Yeah. Boy, you know, it's funny. I don't have much sourdough bread. It's I usually so pick strange. up a loaf every time I go shopping. Look at you. But I'm, I'm not going to do it. I mean, I have Nutella on everything. I will cut back, but come on. Come on. We got... Uh, so you're trying to get healthy. You can't use... But your doctor's saying you just need to go... Um, basically carb-free, yeah. and you're saying you're crazy. I didn't say that to his face. You're just saying it to a radio audience. And I joined one of those uh, one of those apps. Have you started? I did. You're, in a, you're now in today. a contest. Starts today. Oh, because so I, I was to... going to buy donuts for everybody today. Okay. Well, I'll just, we'll just get them to everyone else. I have to lose eight pounds in four weeks. You can do that. Yeah. If you just went on a carb diet, you could lose eight pounds in one week. That's what he told me. No carbs, just pure, pure protein. That's all you got to do. One I could, week. I could have meat at every meal. That sounds okay to me. Yeah, but what does your what does your stomach say? My stomach right now is saying nachos, oh, yeah. which is full of carbs. But I don't know. It would taste good. Sure would. You get the Wisconsin State Fair nachos we talked about the other day with the crickets. They've got some protein. Protein. Oh, I love crickets. Cricket nachos. But I'd have to get rid of the chips, so maybe just dip some cheese on my finger and then sprinkle some crickets on there. There you go. You're in trouble. (laughs) You are in trouble. You've got a long four weeks. But just know we're here for you. 
It's actually quite easy. Just don't buy the thing you're not supposed to eat. You yeah. can't have any in the house. There's an easier way to do all of this. But what, what's that? Gallbladder. Oh. Have your gallbladder okay. blow up and you'll lose 10 pounds in a week. The point is – the point – the reason I'm not willing to do this is because I want something sustainable, something that I'm willing to do that is manageable. I don't want to be miserable for the rest of my life. Well, I, yeah, but now you're in this contest where you've got to lose eight pounds. I wouldn't go for the whole life decision today. <laughs> I just get your get your money back from the yeah. eight pound investment. Focus on the goal. Just just kill the deal, and then you can make the big long term. Tell you what, the dessert that I'll have over the next four weeks, I'll only eat on the weekends, and it'll only be sugar free Jello, no carbs. Really? Hmm. Only sugar-free Jello. By the way, which is really good when your gallbladder's going out. <laughs> that was one of my favorite things. It was just oh, it was heaven. And there's nothing in it except hoofs of cattle. I I wasn't going to say that, but I'm glad you did. I looked up no carb desserts, yeah. and it was basically sugar-free candy, sugar-free Jello, and sugar-free drinks that you turn into popsicles, and that's it. Boy, you're in trouble. Or cheese. Mm. Yeah. Cheese as a dessert. A brick of cheese. Yeah. My wife was driving the riding in the bus to work one day and there was a guy over there with a about a two pound brick of cheese. He just peeled it open and started gnawing on it. Why you, not? You mean a BOC? A BOC, a brick O cheese. <laughs> I love me some BOC. She texted me and he goes, He's eating cheese. Who eats cheese? I love cheese. I'm like, Apparently that guy. I've actually never understood people that are crazy about cheese. Really? No. But, hey, it's your dessert from now on. Have you guys ever had a cup of cheese? Um, oh, like I a cup up, of macaroni and cheese or something? No, you just grab a cup and then you grate cheese in it. This is what I did as a kid. This is probably why I had the gallbladder problem. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> and then you grate the cheese. Then you nuke it in the microwave and then you just chug it. Melt, melted cheese? Mm-hmm. You got to let it cool a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you'll just – yeah. There's Burgers. other problems. Scald yourself on the way down. But, mm. boy, there's nothing better than swallowing a big load of – Melted cheese. What about those handy? What were those called? Those handy snacks with the little compartment yeah, yeah, of yeah. cheese that you oh, have yeah. given the little red stick. Compartment o cheese. Yes. Cocs. Those are good. And the red sticks were always fun. Chew on those for a couple of hours after. Well, we wish you the best of luck in your um, endeavor. May the force be with you. You're laughing inside. I'm laughing at me everywhere. Uh, so let's get to the big headlines uh, with Terry South. Terry, what's going around, on around the country that we need to be paying attention to? China urging calm Wednesday after North Korea said it was considering plans for a missile strike on the U.S. Pacific territory of Guam. And President Donald Trump told the North that any threat against the U.S. would meet, be, met, may, be met with fire and fury. Fire, fire and fury! One newspaper had a headline that says, uh, fire and furry. I got some laughs. Just a little typo in the you headline. You will be met there. with fire and, and furry. Furry. China called on all parties to avoid any words or actions that might escalate the situation and make even greater effort to resolve the the issue via talks. The war of words between President Trump and North Korea escalated Wednesday. Uh, we know all about that as we as uh, what we received news that they were able to have more. <laughs> capabilities yeah. with their weapons and then trump comes back with that one and north korea said that trump's comments amounted to a load of nonsense oh wow yeah north korean state-run news agency aired a statement by general kim rock guyom who 
I'm saying it wrong, but one of their generals who yeah, said who said sound dialogue is not possible with such a guy bereft of reason and only absolute force can work with him. He then attacked Trump for what uh, for going on what the president is calling a working vacation in his golf course. Wow! And accused him of playing golf while failing to grasp the ongoing grave situation. This is a general from North Korea. But the funny thing is that he's saying the exact same thing that CNN analysts are saying. That's kind of weird. Yeah. It's the uh, first time the CNN wonder, analysts I wonder, have been on the same page as the North Koreans. I wonder where he saw that. It's so strange. Interesting. Authorities say Delta Airlines uh, jet bound from Oklahoma was forced to abort its takeoff on a runway at Atlanta's airport mm. when two tires went flat. Oh. An airport spokesman tells the Associated Press that the passengers were removed from the plane. No injuries were reported. Delta said in a statement that... Uh, what happened around 9.22 in the morning after two tires deflated. The airline said passengers got off the main cabin doors. Uh, they were all put on buses. No one was hurt. No Holy problem. Holy cow. But they're trying to take off and two tires are flat. I've had an airplane abort a takeoff at Atlanta Airport because mm. an engine caught on fire. Whoa. Is it an airport situation? And then and then we, and then we I was on the plane and I could see the flames. And then we sat there and fire trucks came up and sprayed it down. Would you rather take I off was in that situation? Except our our, yeah. our tires were would, fine. Would you rather take off in an airplane with an engine on fire or with the tires deflated? Oh, that's such a. How would I rather die? <laughs> such a hard question. I think I'd rather just have the unknown of the flat tires. I think they both end in fire. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, in other news, when the last total solar eclipse across the U.S., do you know when that was, Matt? The last time that happened? Uh, uh, 78. No, no. 87. No. 79. No. 64. 12. 12 88. 1912. Bingo. 1918. Ooh. Oh, so close. I wasn't even alive. Americans were using telegrams, mail, and even carrier pigeons to communicate. On August 21st, however, onlookers in the United States would take advantage of much more advanced technology to record the rare astronomical event. Wow. 95% of Americans are said to own mobile devices. Cell phone providers are scrambling to ensure their networks are equipped to handle escalated traffic in the rural areas that the eclipse will cross. Huh. Right? Yeah. These, uh... It says these isolated locations are expected to welcome as many as 7.4 million people and influx that will bring a flood of cell phone traffic to areas usually equipped to handle little or no mobile traffic. Yeah. Why does it matter? Because people need their cell phones, so you can Instagram no. and get a selfie we really with don't. the eclipse. Drive in, <laughs> go on silent mode, go stealth mode, take your pictures, drive mm. out. When you get coverage, then it says in, in preparations, carriers like AT and T, T Mobile, and Verizon have taken steps to ensure their user experience minimal disruptions in service, including expanding network capabilities, fine tuning towers, and even providing portable cell sites in mm. some areas. How nice of them. Text and data. They have, they have uh, what's it called, a mobile, the MAU, like mobile area? I don't know. It's basically Mow. a trailer with a huge cell antenna on the back yeah. of it, and they'll just park it in the middle of a town to make sure they get extra cell coverage. Then do, do people have to, like, come put a quarter in and no. turn the thing? <laughs> it's just you're, you pay because you have your data package. Okay, that's nice of them. Right, so text and data usage expected to spike more than voice calls. As a result, networks plan to prioritize these services. However, users may still see a slowdown in internet access because you're like in Idaho Falls and like 90 million hmm. people show up. But now uh, it seems like this is um, 1918 was the last time that we had this. Yes. But, so I bet a lot of people went blind after that. Probably. Because they didn't know what we know, that you don't just stare don't, at it. Don't look at it. 
By the way, am I covered through my insurance company if I go blind? No. It depends why you went blind. Hmm. Yeah. For looking for, at the for looking at the eclipse. Yeah, you're not covered. Why not? Well, because you should have known better. Well, I mean, right now there's evidence that I'm telling you not to do that. Did you know that there are a bunch of companies out there that are selling all sorts of phony yep. glasses? Yes. So be careful. We have our own brand of them. Ours are different. You're wearing some right now. That's right. And there's there's some major turmoil in Major League Baseball. What? They're having an inaugural players weekend at the end of the month. Baseball players will be allowed to wear their nicknames on their official jerseys during the games. So you'll have your jersey, and instead of your last name, you'll have a nickname. Chip. Right? They're just trying to sell more jerseys, obviously. But they're going to do this for the whole weekend. The idea, while easy to mock, is also low-key fantastic in some iterations. Uh, Mr. Smile. Oh, Mr. Mr. Smile. Smile. Says uh, Yankee fans, though, are furious to see their players' nicknames across the back of of the official on-field Major League Baseball jersey. As Sporting News reports, never in Yankees history has the team had names on any of its uniforms. Yeah, that's true. Right. It's about the stripes. It's not about – it's about the name on the front, not the back. Duh. There you go. I think they're trying to say they're all the same. You're all the same. So uh, between August 25th and 27th, all Starlin will be above number 14, which is Starlin Castro. Mm-hmm. Red Thunder above Clint Frazier's Red number 77. Thunder. Aren't these gladiator names? Yes. And All Rise over number 99, which Judge. is Aaron Judge. Okay, so that's interesting. What would your nickname be? Probably just South. Really? Saudi. South. South. Sir. My, my teammates, were, when I played in high school, uh, football, they weren't really – Creative. I was Southman. Boy, mm, and really? Like, really? Mine would be Hefe. Half my team didn't know my first name. Yours would be Hefe. Yes. Yeah, Hefe. Hefe, the Spanish word for chief. You'd be boss. Hefe. Yes. Uh, and my, I would be Sass. Mm. Guess mm. why? Sass in frass. Sass in apostrophe frass. Sass in frass. You got a problem with that, Terry? I, I'm, uh, I'm waiting to see what you're going to explain what SAS means. What is FRAS, by the way? Uh, you don't want to know. FRAS? Yeah. The stuff that follows SAS? SAS and yes. FRAS? So you get SAS and then you get FRAS. Whoa. And there's an N in between. Compared to FRAS, SAS is the calm. Oh, I'd much rather the be calm SAS before than the storm. Frassed. Mama said, don't ever FRAS. She also said, knock you out. Are you going to explain the sass or just going to continue? No, I think I just showed it right there. It was a lot of sass. There. She also said, life is like a box of chocolates. By the way, guess what my nickname was? This is true, 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 true story. My nickname mm-hmm. in Little League Baseball, yep. when I hit the one I hit time, the game-winning only time your double life. that yeah. scored two runs to mm-hmm. win, the to beat the hardest team in the league, mm. they called me Reggie. Ridge. Oh, really? Are you Reggie. sure it wasn't Wedgie? No, I think they were saying well, Wedgie. Well, it was Wedgie. It was what the, the other team was calling me. Okay. Wedgie, Wedgie. <laughs> and then um, Actually, I my think they team all called just, me Reggie. They all just had speaking impediments. So yeah. they were saying Reggie, they but it sounded Reggie. like Wedgie. It's Reggie after Reggie Jackson. True. Because I pulled it out. I pulled but it out. But it was a double, though. It wasn't like. Well, that's all I needed. Hmm. I didn't need a home run. I, mean, I actually could have run it in because once I hit the double. Oh, right. 
because I hit the double up the right field line, and it Obviously. hit it, it, it hit in bounds and then right. spun out. So it was such it, was it a had such English on it. You so had a, what's called a walk. I could have run in. I could combine that off. with your natural athletic prowess. Yeah, absolutely. Back right. then, I did have prowess. I think it was more unnatural. <laughs> Many would say, yeah, well, because they thought I did roids when I was twelve. Al- Al- because I was ripped. Altoids or. Yeah, they actually, didn't have Altoids back then. They didn't I don't, really. I don't well. think. You're, you're pre-Altoid? Yeah, pre, wow. PA they call us. Yeah. Those, those kids didn't call them roids, though. They called them woids. Woids? Woids. Well, yeah. the speech impediment. Yeah, because the – yeah. I was a catcher. I played I played the all-star – I was the catcher for the all-star team. How are your knees? They're horrible now. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the days. So they just call, probably call me Reggie or Sassenfrass. And we're looking up to find out what frass means. You should ask Spencer and Jerem what their nicknames would be. That's what I'm going to ask them. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Well, we already know. We, we do? Yeah. Spence and Jerome. Jer- so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's causing a lot of turmoil because the Yankees have this tradition. It's about the team, not the individual. But for that weekend, it's about the individual. Yeah. They, they need to relax. But all they're going to do is sell like 50 million Aaron Judge jerseys. That's all they're going to do. Yeah. Because everyone loves that. Why would it be all rise? Why wouldn't it just be the judge? I don't know. Hmm. I think they should call it. I think his right, nickname should be Judge Judy. Write a letter. Complain. I don't know. You could go either way. Yeah. <laughs> Boy. See, this is exciting stuff. And the stuff you don't get anywhere else. You know what I mean? You might. There is one more story that um, I think we have time for. Uh, a, a video or a picture has gone viral about why you should never pop a pimple. Mm, these are gross. Really? Mm-hmm. A, a, a girl, a, a 21-year-old woman from Austin recently shared a Twitter on her Twitter page that she had picked a, a blemish near her eyebrow. Hmm. And her, then she went to bed that night and her entire face had had swollen into this nasty – Face. Really? You've got a picture? She's a lovely 21-year-old woman, but well, apparently well, she's all swollen and she, shiny. Apparently she has what's called cellulitis, huh. which is and it's a version of a staph infection that that then impacts deeper levels of tissue because she that's the problem with picking a pimple is you open up your skin to infections. And they, she then got a, a staph infection, basically. I think there's an infection going around this staph. Oh, there is. I've been coughing it out all day. That was audio from the pimple. Yeah, thank you. That was not me coughing. But uh, she, so her face, then it, it, she doesn't look well. One no, little, one or, little, or happy. So one little pimple. I mean, it's sure, sure, it's fun. <laughs> and sure, the kids love it. And sure, you're like, hey, gather around. Dad's going to pick his pimples. Come watch. Yeah, it's gross. But don't do it. It's dangerous. And and also, here's another thing. Just this is coming from the doctor in me. If you go watch people pick their pimples on YouTube, you need help. Sure, it's a very popular pastime. But if you're spending your afternoon watching people pick pimples – you need to give me a call. one eight five five chat byu I'll be sending my wife your number. Send me I, because there's bigger problems ahead for you. It's a pimple, folks. Let it go. Let it go. Just wash your face. Go to a professional to pick that. Up next, we'll be uh, revisiting an interview we did with Dr. Tim Pitchell. 
strength versus structure, how to create structures and systems in your life that will make it so your habits are even easier to keep. Sometimes we don't get things done because we're too busy or too stressed or depressed. Sometimes we procrastinate because we don't know how to accomplish a task or don't even have the resources we need to get it done. But have you ever procrastinated simply because you just didn't feel like doing anything? Even when we are at our healthiest and most energetic times, sometimes you just don't feel like getting things done, right? Several months ago, I spoke with Dr. Timothy Pitchell, who is the director of the Procrastination Research Group at Carleton University, and we discussed how to combat procrastination, how to structure your habits and create a cushion to fall back on when we don't have the strength to keep going or we simply don't want to do certain things. I begin the interview by asking Dr. Pitchell about the time he wrote about having a cold and being very unmotivated. Here I was facing this cold, and I had a bit more empathy and realized that, yeah, some people just feel worn out. But that doesn't mean we have to give in to feel good, right? Like, right. Th- this is the key thing is that on any given day, and you said it so nicely in the intro, I don't feel like it. I don't want to. And there's lots of things I don't feel like doing. In fact, if I waited till I felt like it, I'd get <laughs> very little done. And I have a hard time convincing my children of that, of course. Right. Saying, Dad, I don't feel like it. I don't want to. And I say, on what given day do you ever feel like doing your homework? Like, what day do I say, hey, what do you feel like today? And you say, I feel like doing homework. It doesn't happen. So let's take that off the table. And then the question becomes, so how am I going to get past that? I mean, that is it. How do I get past the feeling? Because the feeling, it's almost like we feel justified, I guess, right? Because we think, I guess, we should be doing what we feel feel like doing. But meanwhile, we have a job. We have a family. We have, like you always talk about, the stalls to clean out. We, we've got stuff to do. Yeah, we do. And it's interesting. I like the way you put that very much, Matt, because I think listeners might say, well, what are you telling me? I shouldn't do what I feel like. There's a bit of a paradox here because, of course, we should do what we feel like in our lives. They are our lives. We need to be agentic in our lives. We have to be in control of our lives. But so often, if you really look at it, you'll you'll realize you're not doing the things that will lead you to achieving the things you want in your life, right? And so it's not a matter of ignoring your feelings as if they don't matter, your real feelings. I'm talking about those feelings of, not now, I'll do it later. Right, right. <laughs> because that, that's just a big excuse. And so I can drill it down to something really simple like flossing my teeth. You know, oral health is really important. Exercise, just in the New York Times this past week, was a great essay again about how really if it was a drug, it would be the miracle drug. So... Why is it we can put off things like flossing our teeth and doing exercise? And so often it's because, oh, I'm too tired. I don't feel like it. And then, of course, what I argue in that piece that you read is that what can save us, what can get us past that is a habit. If you can structure your habits around these things, then you're less likely to just fall prey to that. Like if you mean my habit, like my bedtime habit, if it includes flossing, Brushing, rinsing, if I just make that a habit and and exercise energy to make that a habit, then I just do it automatically. Right. And then everyone's going, well, if I could make it a habit, I wouldn't have a problem. So how do I make it a habit? Well, you have to make little things. You have to have these little wins. Look for things that are real keystone ideas here. So for me, I always brushed my teeth, but I wouldn't floss. And for me, it was, okay, uh, I'll make this simple intention when I 
pick up my toothbrush and paste, which I always did, I'll put the floss on the counter. Hmm. And when I put the toothbrush down, I'll pick up the floss. And so I'm starting to establish a habit. And after a little while of that, of course, there's the floss, on, and I've picked it up. So it takes really 30 seconds to floss my teeth. So now those nights when I'm really tired, I, I don't have to rely on the exercise of willpower because I've got none. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're done. You're spent. Instead, it's that I've, I've got this muscle memory of, oh, yeah, I've put the floss on the counter, and I pick it up. And so I, I really don't want to do battle with myself every day because if I'm relying on my willpower... We know from research, willpower is a limited resource. We exhaust it quickly. We're going to give in to feel good. What's going to feel good? Not doing that. I'm not right. doing it. Yeah, we act like a six-year-old. <laughs> we really do. And then we, and then we also have the nerve to like be surprised. Like, oh, I think it's I can't believe I've got conjunctivitis. Or no, that's eye disease. I, I can't believe I've got uh, my gums are receding because I never, I never take care of them. Well, you know, and even when your dentist tells you that, you're still likely say, but I don't know how to floss. I just don't know how to get myself to do it. Right. And it's these little baby steps that we have to put together to create these habits. Now, another one I mentioned there is exercise, because exercise is a miracle in all our lives. Right. But it's so easy to say, and we, and we do it all the time. Like, as much as we know it feels good, we think, oh, I'm just too tired. And so, for me, at 60 now, I've found that yoga is life-saving. Yeah. <laughs> but yoga feels so good. I can look at it when I'm sitting down at, say, 8.30 at night, and I've had a couple of battles with the kids or whatever. I'm I'm just too tired for this. I say, Tim, don't make it any bigger than stand up and stretch your arms over your head. And then, of course, that feels really good. And then it's just, okay, let's exhale and lean backwards a bit. And you know where the story goes. There you go. I'm doing yoga. Yeah. So it's establishing that muscle memory, that habit. And also, of course, you heard me say it, I have to just look past those feelings for a moment and say, what's the next action I could take? I just need to stand up and stretch. Don't make any bigger than that. If I think I'm going to do yoga for 30 minutes, I think, no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to stand up and stretch. Then I'm doing it. And, of course, that's the thin edge of the wedge, they say, or it primes the pump. And pretty soon I'm doing exactly what I need to do and what I really want to do. That's the point is, I guess, the thin edge. You don't need to get the fat edge of the of the wedge in. You just need to get a tiny, tiny little wedge in. Yeah, and I think it's such a powerful metaphor because it just cracks it right open. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting there is that a couple times now I've used this expression, we give in to feel good. But that's the hedonistic form of feeling good. It's like the, the actual... Um, just fun, just uh, a pleasurable feeling. I think pleasure is a better way to think of it. But there's the, the Greek for the eudaimonic form of pleasure that comes from pursuing our meaningful goals. And it's a much more powerful form of happiness. And so the moment I'm up and I'm stretching, and I don't, even, I don't feel just good about the stretching, but I feel good about me. Mm. I feel good about being engaged in the activities that matter to me. So I think everyone should remember to contrast that, yeah, I can have the hedonistic pleasure, but there's the eudaimonic pleasure that comes from doing that trumps it every time. It's yeah. long-lasting. It, it uh, builds my sense of self. And so sometimes that's what I have to focus on, too. I say, okay, yeah, it feels good to be sitting here. It feels really good to be living the life that I want to live. And, yeah, and, and like you said, b- being an actor, um, 
and uh, kind of having my my agency, knowing I'm an agent of my own existence instead of just a reactor. Absolutely. You know, Matt, you began by saying you like chatting to me because you think you learn so much, but I don't get to talk to many people who pick up on that sense of agency so quickly. That's really important. Yeah. I'm glad no. you went back there. That It is a sense of this is my life and what am I going to make of it? Because the only non-renewable resource you and I have in life is time. So the question is, what am I going to do right now? Because this promise of tomorrow is illusionary. And right. so what am I going to do right now? Because this is who I am. What choices am I going to make? Am I going to be the six-year-old or am I going to be the person I want to be? Now, that doesn't mean that now oh, that's miraculous. Then I have to lay on top of that those strategies we're talking about. Okay, so if that's the case, what's the next action? Because those actions will come back to what we've been talking about, which is building habits. And that piece you read was, yeah, don't try to rely on your strength. Try to rely on your habits. You know, in that piece, I also wrote about the fact that I used to teach whitewater canoeing. And it was easier to teach it to women sometimes than men. And that's because men would always try to muscle through the water. Yeah. You know, they, they try to push the boat into places that they shouldn't be, but they often succeeded because they could just do it. For yeah, will their way through it. Whereas the women realized, I can't put the boat there. And I say, exactly. So let's use the water here. And in a sense, that metaphor is very powerful. And I have to start to use the, those things in my life that afford me uh, the, the habits that I want. Mm. Rather than fighting against human nature, which often is, I'm too tired, I, then I build in habits that allow me to work with my own current. Yeah. Powerful and, metaphor for me because I realized the day that I had a cold that I was trying to muscle through right. and I didn't have the muscle. You didn't have the energy, the muscle, the tools. Dr. Tim Pitchell's joining us. We'll take a break. Uh, go visit his website, procrastination.ca. Uh, interesting uh, information, tools, the stuff you need to, uh, to create um, the habits for healthier living. Stick with us. More with Dr. Pitchell when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and uh, stronger. Stick with us. The Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is Dr. Timothy Pitchell, and he is um, the author of the book Solving the Procrastination Puzzle. Also has has written with in many journal articles as well, and is a uh, writer on psychology today as well. He's the director of the Procrastination Research Group at Carleton University in Ottawa, Canada. If you go to his website, um, you can you can go to procrastination.ca. For Canada, and you can get right to the Procrastination Research Group website. So, good stuff, uh, Timothy. Again, welcome back, and thanks for teaching us really what is so basic yet um, seems like such a big uh, jump. You're just saying focus on the small stuff. Yeah, I am. But you know, one of the things you picked up on early too was this notion of procrastination, and that it's it's not really about time management. I think that's an important thing to stress here that. We just finished. I was on sabbatical this past year. In fact, it ends next week. Oh, bummer. <laughs> uh, I guess so. But it's been a fantastic year, very productive and also very restorative. And we finished a book, a colleague and I, an edited book that people can see on procrastination.ca. It's called Procrastination, Health, and Well-Being. And in there, I wrote a chapter on emotion regulation. 
because procrastination is not a time management issue. It's not like we're broken somehow and we don't know how to manage our time. It's an emotion management issue because procrastination is a coping strategy. Yeah. I, I use avoidance, and that avoidance gets me away from bad feelings. So I have bad feelings about a task. I'm bored. I'm frustrated. I'm resentful. I might have fear about it. And so if I avoid it right now, then I, those emotions disappear, at least temporarily. So it's really the focus needs to be on emotion regulation. And when we figure that out, it's like figuring out I'm not eating this third piece of chocolate cake because I'm hungry. Yeah. And it's... then the lights go on, and then you start to developing your own strategies for how not to procrastinate so much. Yeah. You know what? That is just – you just blew my mind. Just as a relationship coach, it's the same thing, right? People that are trying to avoid conversations are really about emotion emotion management, people that are escalating conversations. It really is – most of this is just about self, self-mastery. Oh, yes, very much so. And so much of our self-mastery, because that word mastery is an interesting one. Um, you know, what we're probably trying to master in so many ways is our limbic system, that older part of the brain, the emotional part of the brain that reacts quickly to the world around us. It's been very – adaptive for us, but it can get in the way. And we need to, as Brene Brown's talks about so well, we need to talk about the stuff that gets in the way. So what gets in the way? Well, the immediate reaction I have to many tasks is uncertainty and fear. And I have it all the time. Like, I'm successful in my work, but there's not a day that goes by that I don't face a task. And I have this free-floating anxiety or concern, and it has to do with myself, as you were talking about. Yeah. And I, I have to go past that, right? I, I, I don't even know how to rationalize it sometimes. So instead, I lean on the words of one of my favorite uh, writers, Parker Palmer. Oh, I love wrote, Parker Palmer. Hmm. Wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's so funny. I didn't, he really is. He got me through my master's program by reading him. That was awesome. Well, that is awesome. I think if we were closer, <laughs> we'd be best. We'd be hanging out. We would, because we think a lot alike. So you'll know that Parker Palmer's written things like, I may have fear, but I need not be my fear. That's just one of yeah. my biggest mantras in life. Because in any ads, because I can work from some other part of my inner landscape. And in there are things like curiosity and ambition. But at the moment, fear's got me. Hmm. Fear is a powerful, basic emotion. But I can have my fear without being my fear. So, you know, I talked about yoga. Yoga is great for my body, but yoga is really good for my mind, too, because mindfulness meditation, neuroscientists have demonstrated, really works on our brain, the plasticity of our brain, in the sense that it down-regulates that limbic system and it up-regulates our prefrontal cortex, that part of our brain that's responsible for planning and organization and impulse control, and I'm able to do the things that I need to do. So... That meditation allows me to do what Parker Palmer says, which is have an emotion without being an emotion, because mm. I'm able to non-judgmentally just be aware. Yeah, I'm really freaking out about this report. That's that's real. I am freaking out, but I don't have to be that emotion. I can just say to myself what you said a moment ago, which what's the next action? Yeah. Right? What's the next action I need to take? And then I make it tiny. Well, I need to turn on my computer. I can do that. That's I'll easy. <laughs> I mean, it, it, that, it is that simple. I need to turn on my computer. I need to find the file that I'm writing in. I need to start writing. Yeah. Oh, that. But even there, I've got to be, got to be careful of that one because that's going to get a little bit vague. That's vague. that's bigger. Oh, I, I I need to I need to write the first chapter or the first paragraph. 
I need to put down a couple of ideas of what I would write if I was going to write, but I'm not uh-huh. going to. But I'm not going to write. I really have to trick myself. I have to oftentimes say, "Okay, I'm not going to write." But if I was going to write, what kind of things would I say? And I just put those down. And you know, just the other night, I was doing homework with my 11-year-old girl. Now she just finished school. She really wanted to chill, but she's got this big assignment. I said, "Let's work on that first. And of course, I got all the resistance. But finally, <laughs> we got to, it and I said, "Okay, I know we're not going to do the assignment. But what, if you were going to do the assignment, what would you say about this?" PowerPoint slide you've made. Why did you take this picture at the vet? She went to a vet to learn what vets do. And she started to tell me about that, and I started writing it down, and lo and behold, we were doing the work, right? You got to look for that very low threshold of entry, because the moment I say, do your work, it just becomes huge. And she's like, can't. The moment I put it to, to a question of, so tell me a little bit about this photograph. Well, now we're doing the work, but she doesn't even realize it. Yeah. It talked to us about because one thing I, I try to do, um, it's almost like you're backdooring. I call it backdooring my brain because you're, you're tricking it in. Look, who even knows if you're going to get to writing? But if you were going to get to writing, what would you do? Um, then it's almost like I, I get into it. What I end up doing is I'll jump into my project or whatever I'm doing, and um, I will. it's almost like it'll take me 10 minutes to find the file, to get the thing where I needed so I can figure out what I was doing the last time I was doing this writing project. And I, it's, I'm so far behind because I didn't leave it well. You know what I mean? I didn't leave it in a way that I could easily just do it again. Yeah. that's Well, you're a coach and you get all this. But, yeah, that's a tough one. I think that, that you have to think a little bit about future self. And there's quite a gap between our present self and our future self. I think I might have joked with you before that Homer Simpson gets it so well. He says, yeah, that's a problem for future Homer. Man, I don't envy that guy. <laughs> like, that's, like I'm going to leave it like yeah. right now because future self will deal with it. And so I think you're right. We need to be proactive and realize that most projects extend over time. And so to the extent that I can leave it in a manageable way, I'm going to be able to pick it up more easily later. But the thing is that even if I have to jump in somewhere in the middle, uh, let's not let that be a barrier either. Like, so yeah, I jumped in not at exactly the right place, but at least I'm here. I'm doing it. Yeah. Because that that actually quells that that uncertainty. It makes you feel better about self, as you said. It's that component of self mastery. Mm. Like I'm still here, and that's what I'd really like to be able to do. Even though every cell in my body's screaming, "Run away! Run away! Get away from here!" Oh man, Tim, it's so true. Okay, I gotta go. Ah. Oh. I've got I've got a deadline I got to meet right now but Tim we love you we'll have you back keep writing and everybody go to the website procrastination.ca and get the book uh, procrastination health and well-being uh, Tim's great, greatest and latest work thanks so much again Tim good stuff I'm serious I don't know what it is he's just we're in the same vibe and groove <sighs> there's hope folks and chunk it down tiniest little smallest smallest chunk Start there. We'll take a break. We'll be right back visiting our good brethren down at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. It's time, folks, to take the Matt Townsend Show to a completely different level. How better to do that than to go visit our good friends at BYU Sports Nation and find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Spencer and Jerem, hello, gentlemen. Matthew, I was hoping for Beethoven's fifth. (laughs) You guys. Hey, Jerem, thanks for dropping by today and just lifting our spirits. You know what? I, I... 
said, hey, I've got an extra fruit basket. That was very uh, nice of you. Of social energy that I wanted to drop off. Mm. It was great to see you guys in person because we have this audible relationship. I yeah. wanted an in-person relationship. I know, and we're on oh, different like sides of the building. Studio too. Yeah. That's a special place to us and you. You guys started here. In fact, we're still cleaning the marks off the walls. <laughs> exactly. We it's... used to bring in this like kid basketball hoop into there. Yeah. And if we played a taped interview or something, we would just like shoot on that during the interview. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that why there's so many dents in the in the sound barrier walls? No, that's from uh, Julie. <laughs> okay, yeah, Julie, yeah. Yeah. She always plays top, tennis top in here. Top of mind. Yep, top of mind, Julie she's, Rose. Yeah, she's bouncing off the wall. Hitting, hitting balls all over. Hey, guys, um, did you hear the big news? This is great news, I'm sure, because you're sports fans, you know this, that uh, they're going to, for Major League Baseball's inaugural, inaugural Players Weekend, at the end of the month, they're going to allow the players to put their nicknames on their jerseys. Mm-hmm. So, yes. um, and apparently the Yankees uh, fans are kind of upset about it because there's never been names on the back of Yankees First jerseys. Time. Yeah, First so time. so this it's is ups, upsetting wild. people. It's uh, is it yeah. a big deal? Is that a big deal? Or yes. And and what 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 nicknames would you guys put on your jerseys? Well, I particularly like the Mariners third baseman Kyle Seager, who's the older brother of. Stud shortstop Cody Seager mm. of Jeff Simpson's Dodgers. Yes. On the back of yep. On, there's Bumblebee. On the back of Kyle Seager's jersey, it's going to say Cody's brother. Oh really? That's great. <laughs> Cody's brother. Oh, that's kind of embarrassing. I'll tell you what I want. What if on Spencer's jersey? If he said that, well, I what? want it to say four nine forty. Four nine forty is that his four? Is that his forty measurements? That's, that's the goal. Meter time. The goal. That's the goal. Really? That's the goal. Yeah. yeah. That Mine would say something like top button guy. Okay. Yeah. 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 Top button guy. Spencer's friend. Yeah. <laughs> My, we're, we're, we were introducing ourselves the other day, and someone's like, you know, we're going around the table. Spencer said it, and I'm like, I'm Spencer's friend. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's who I am. You have no other purpose, but you're just Spencer's friend. To his left. Do you know mine would be Weezer because I wheeze a lot. I like it. I like you know it. what I mean? Also, I love Weezer. Weezer's a good name. Yeah. Uh, what, Spencer, what would your name be? What's your, what would your nickname be on the back of your jersey if you had to choose? Mm. Besides InSync Faux Life, <laughs> Permasync. Oh, Permasync. Perma InSync. That is a solid option, man. Yeah, it is. Totally. I don't know. I got to think about that for a minute. That's not something I can answer quickly. That's a good. See, good. See, that's important because you've only got one day to wear the jersey, so you got to nail it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you want it marketable because this is really why Major League Baseball is doing it to sell more jerseys. Your mom's favorite. <laughs> that would also be a good one. That would be a good one. <laughs> you could say, w- hold on, what what high school did you go to? Bonneville. No, how dare you? Sorry. Co- uh, I went to Copper Hills. You went to, yeah, Copper Hills. Northridge, man. Oh, Northridge. Yeah. Representing Layton, Utah, next to Hill Air Force Base. Leon! Chase McCormick's homie. (laughs) Daniel Coates. Yeah. Ryan Gawoliku. Colby Buckwald. All BYU football players. Wow. And I will name the Copper Hills guys. There you go. And (laughs) end scene. That was really good. We did have a Super Bowl champ. That was really good. Copper Hills two years ago. Okay. Um, maybe my – if we're going high school teams, maybe what would be on the back of my jersey would be like nighttime, but with yeah. K-N-I-G-H-T. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Nice. Woo! Nighttime. Put on the armor. <laughs> Nine-nine. Unsheath the sword. Bang. <laughs> All 
Okay, that's good. Excalibur. Now, you, you guys, you guys, are, you're still going to do your show, though, right? Like today, you're the still. The closer you're... we get to the season, yeah. the more intense the drama becomes. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. And today we discuss the most important topic in the history of BYU football. <laughs> what? <laughs> what well, are that... the expectations for Mo Longy? Maybe not the most important, but the biggest, right? Yeah. Big a Mo Longy. Big well, Mo Longy. He's a freshman. What do you expect? What I expect him not to get stuck in an elevator again. Who knows? Yeah, you you knew that story. We talked about that. Yeah. What do you expect? I I think I have way lower expectations than the fan base. We'll really? discuss that. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna let him kind of grow into this. Yeah, he's a freshman. He's ba- he does he didn't even know where the sideline was last week. Really? How's he how's he supposed to make a huge impact if he doesn't? Well, maybe he know had a head injury. Maybe he maybe somebody hit his head. No one hits Molong. He said that's a yeah. good point. It's a very good point. Okay, that's a good that's a good topic. Anything and else? Other things. Yeah, there are other things. Okay, I'm just lost in the shadow of Mo Longy right now. <laughs> yeah, you're trying to figure out <laughs> okay, why. Okay, now, now, now I'm around the shadow. Uh, BYU football has a number of excellent defenders they are going to face this year. Really? But there is this weird trend developing. Like the best of the best are dealing with significant injuries. Jerem's we'll tell you the latest. Oh boy! With the latest bad news for a BYU opponent. No. You you don't want injuries no. to anybody. I I I, 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 want, I feel awful yeah, for them. There there's one significant player on a significant team BYU is playing. Plus the top ten defensive players BYU will face. Blaine Fowler will join us uh, to w- break down BYU football and a little bit of hoops. Uh, what Heath Schroyer said on behind the mic on BYU Radio. Last and we're two on one with the receivers coach Ben Cahoon. How he switches his wide receiver depth chart mm. on a day to day basis. Ew. They earn it every single day. If I love this. Number one guy. I read all Williams. about it. Debut in the NFL tonight, exhibition play, Taysom Hill and company, Bronson Kafusi with the Ravens. It's a massive, massive show. Woo! Massive show, locked and loaded. Spencer and Jerem, they're ready for you, folks. BYU Sports Nation, it's just about five minutes away, and uh, boy, you don't want to miss it. And again, you'll find out what, why Mo Longi couldn't find the sideline, which is a big deal. I mean, I'm pretty sure the only thing I would know about football is where the sideline was. Because I'd need to know where how to get there, right? Hey, as you know, we love to end the show with a hero story. And today's hero story is a Texas postal worker that is uh, uh, filling up more than just mailboxes. He has just donated his 100th gallon of blood. Marco Perez is 57 years old. He visits the South Texas Blood and Tissue Center every two weeks to donate blood. The San Antonio man hit the triumphant mark in July, but officially celebrated his accomplishments on August 2nd. He's always answered the call to come in and donate. Uh, uh, Roger Ruiz said um, from the organization, he said, Perez is a U.S. Air Force veteran, started donating blood when he was a teenager after he was sent a postcard from a blood bank that sought volunteers. He said, I went and tried it, and I realized I can donate more. Perez's father told him his friend of 53 years, Tony Aguilar, donated his blood to Perez, who needed a blood transfusion to survive when he was a baby. So ever since he heard the tale of the man who saved his life, Perez's goal has been to donate blood 24 times a year. That's the maximum allowed, by the way. One donation just saved my life, he said. it wasn't for If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have 100 gallons right now. A mailman since 1990, Perez donates platelets and blood clotting, uh, blood clotting mechanism. He also has donated plasma and red blood cells. He's doing it all. And in the end, he's really saved over 1,500 lives because of his donations. And by the way, how cool is that? 
It's something we can all do. It's something everybody on earth could do. And it is saving lives and helping people. So our hats off to our good, um, uh, our excellent example and postal worker, Marco Perez. You are the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. And that, my friends, is the show. We do it Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern. And we're here to really help you uh, live healthier, happier lives, to help you get a leg up and hopefully to find some hope and some peace. And we'll be back again tomorrow. Until then, take care of each other. Look out for those that need a little help. And BYU Sports Nation, it's up next.